Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 345. I am Peter and joining me as always, sounding like death this week, is Matt. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Matt might be a teensy-weensy little bit sick. Yep. <laughs> Don't worry, it's just a chest cold. It's yeah. great. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine. You'll be, you'll be. I think so. My anxiety is telling me that I, I'm dying. So that's always fun. Uh, um, but yeah, I've seen a nap. Well, you, you had some comics to look forward to. Yeah. So you got some things to talk about. Uh, coming up on this week's show is a DC Comics podcast, of course. Uh, the comics we'll be talking about this week include Superman issue one, Nightwing issue 101, Batman One Bad Day Clayface issue one, The Flash 793, Lazarus Planet Omega issue one, and Batman Superman World's Finest issue 12, Deceased War of the Undead Gods issue six, and GCPD The Blue Wall issue five. So as was coming up on the show this week, mm-hmm. there's also a little bit of news which we'll get into, uh, but that is, uh, that's what's coming up. Um, and I'll try not to draw this out any longer than it needs to be since Matt's... Uh, looking mummified yes <laughs> but still alive that's the important part still alive. also my computer's not playing ball right now and it's not loading up the league of comic geeks so uh it's it's being frustrating it's like chrome just decided to stop working <laughs> i love it as well your body's not working it's just matching the overall uh the whole vibe of the whole building yes yes uh... ah there it is get out smart me I think you'll find it probably can. <laughs> so I yell like when my TV doesn't work, or you know, I just threaten to hit it with something and then it tends to work. And I know it's a coincidence, but you know. Uh, all right, now it's loaded. Now I know it came out this week. That's not DC. Oh, that's good. Oh, why would you be looking that up, Matt? Because you always ask me um, what came up as number one. And what, I what, fell what, for it, didn't what, I? What do we call that segment? Uh, Matt's least favorite in the history of time. <laughs> There's always time for a comicsology top ten, which is what we'll start off with, as per usual. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll look at Tuesday's uh, books, the top ten, and comicsology as of right now for all the books released on Tuesday, which are basically just DC. So what do you think number one was, Matt? I really hope it's Superman. Yeah, Superman issue one. Yeah. Uh, Number two is Lazarus Planet Omega. Uh, Number three is Nightwing 101. Number four is Batman Superman World's Finest. Uh, Number five is Deceased World of the Undead Gods. So in that top five, we have the new Superman issue one, and then we have two Mark Wade books and two Tom Taylor books. So uh, definitely a week that's playing to our sensibilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number six is One Bad Day, Clayface. Oh, man. Number seven is The Flash, 793. Number eight is Superman's The Space Age, which, you know, for a $10 book, mm-hmm. uh, not too shabby. Uh, number nine is Black Adam issue eight. And number 10 is Wonder Woman 796. Just, just, just clawing in, just, just tying on for dear life mm-hmm. in that top 10. As it does. Yes. Uh, and then other things like Titans United, Catwoman, GCPD, uh, and then some trades are all outside the top 10. So, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty heavy week. A lot of big names involved in some of these books. Uh, I'm not surprised they're the ones that did well. Uh, so, cool. 
What do you think is number one for Wednesday, Matt? Oh, I could either go Image or Marvel on this one, but I'm seeing what other Xbox came out. And because there's a new X number one, I'm going to say Immoral X-Men number one. It's Saga, issue 62. Uh, yeah. The last time I said Saga, it was an X-Men book, and I said I would not get burned, and then promptly got burned. <laughs> it, it double bluffed you, that's, that's what happened. Uh, right. Number two is Immortal X-Men, issue one, which is, a, a, a again, a small miniseries for the sin, Sins of Sinister yeah. event. It's that it's immoral, not immortal. Oh, I didn't even which, notice that. I just yeah, my eyes saw immoral and just filled well, it in. Because yeah, because I'm sure we've seen a book called Immortal X Men before. Oh, for sure, yeah, definitely. So, um, yes, that's yeah. Karen Gillan. So surely Connor's read it. <laughs> I, I doubt it. Maybe he's like catching up on Unlimited, but I, I doubt he's yeah. reading it fresh. Yeah. Uh, next up, number three is Captain. Oh, sorry. Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, issue one of five. Hey, that's cool. That was that. She used to be Psylocke. Okay, uh, I didn't realize you'd be excited by that. Uh, it's by Tina Howard, though, who mm-hmm. so far I've not really liked her, and she's read, yeah. or that I've read of hers, I should say, that she's read. So I'm sure she's yeah. read a lot of things that I probably do like. Uh, number four is Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, number five is Sabretooth and the Exiles, issue four. Uh, number six is Thor issue thirty one. Number seven, we're actually going back outside of Marvel. So I mean, obviously they already had uh, an image book mm-hmm. at number one, but uh, number seven is Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, crossover book. That issue, sounds fun. Issue three specific. Well, I uh, sorry, it's the second crossover series issue three. <laughs> mm. So the full title is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers slash Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two issue three. Which is a wow. bit of a mouthful, but they both have long tails, so fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, number eight is She-Hulk issue ten. Uh, number nine, we're back to a non-Marvel uh, book with a uh, Magic Order issue. Sorry, Magic Order four issue two, which is Mark Miller. And then number mm-hmm. ten, still outside of Marvel, we have Something Is Killing the Children uh, mm-hmm. issue twenty nine. So. Kind of a healthy week for uh, non-superhero books. Now, yeah. admittedly, I'm looking down the rest of this. There doesn't seem to be a lot of Marvel, and that's maybe why there's more than usual sneaking in mm-hmm. to the top ten. Uh, because we did have a week five a couple of weeks ago. Maybe this is the week that Marvel kind of ended up taking off instead. Yeah, they're down week a little bit. Yeah. So, still. Oh, oh, cool, though. Um, honestly, the fact that there's a, a TV show in development for something that's killing the children uh, is inspiring me to maybe finally read it because i've yeah, been to I've, for ages i have the first trade that i bought about a year ago i should probably get to it when i have some time um what who's that in development with uh it's netflix which okay. uh isn't necessarily the best thing to hear these days mm-hmm. however the good news is that it's the creators of dark that are working on it yeah so you sure fan of that at least that first season yeah. I mean, I like the whole show. Uh, yeah. 18.99 wasn't as good, although it's still a shame it got cancelled after one season. Yeah. But uh, I suspect that they're, you know, they're, they're giving them this big adaptation. I'm sure it's yeah. going to be a going to be a thing. Yeah. Uh, I did notice, I almost picked up Titan's new book this week at the shop, which is called Blue Book, mm. um, which is just basically him taking weird stories from history and retelling them with an artist. Um, so the first one was about the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill which is like this really big story in uh, 
in the whole alien abduction. So I'm wondering if it's going to start to blend over into, you know, um, Department of Truth style things. Um, but that's through, I think that was through Dark Horse. But yeah, I, I put it back because I, I don't have time. Uh, something I would have loved to read, though. <laughs> yeah, something to kill the children is boom. Uh, okay. Just for the record. Whereas all the other... Uh, technically, The Power of Rangers Turtles was boom slash IADW. That's a cool uh, publication because it's... Uh, yeah. Power Rangers with Boom, Turtles is with IDW. Yeah, I have to say, they've really, like, IDW with Turtles have really let them sort of, like, cross over. Like, they've had multiple mm-hmm. DC crossovers with Turtles. Uh, they've crossed over with Power Rangers at Boom. Uh, I, I mean, I guess Ghostbusters was also IDW, but I feel like t- Turtles and the comics have crossed over now with, like, every property that you could maybe think of they might. I guess I'm just waiting on the Alien and Predator crossover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that's Marvel. Not, I don't think they've teamed up with Marvel recently. So maybe maybe Marvel's not on the table. Like, doesn't seem like it. So, uh, but there you go. That's uh, that's that. Uh, that Jeff Johns book, Junkyard Joe, was the number 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, that popped up a little bit in our end of year awards for non-DC. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, speaking of stuff Connor likes, there's a Dragon Age comic. I'm sure he's all over that. <laughs> Dragon Age a video game? Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah, Dragon Age is okay. a video game. Gotcha. It's a video game that people liked the first one. No one really liked the second one. Third one was kind of just like mediocre. And Carl's in love with it because, of course, he is. Yeah, it's fantasy. Yeah, it's, he he likes that stuff. He's a filthy mark, is what you're saying. Yes, a big mark. Filthy mark. Put, uh, put dragons and swords in it. Connor will read it probably. <laughs> So, uh, there is a bit of news. Uh, they finally kind of officially announced the Night Terrors stuff that's coming in the summer. It's officially a July and August event, which will have a main book. They didn't say how many issues the main book would be, so I'm not really sure yet. Uh, but they did say that in July and August there'll be a, a bunch of two-issue miniseries that are, like, sort of, you know, tying into it. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's one of these things where it sounds like all the two-issue books are basically, like, Okay, so here's like Batman facing his worst fears in this like mm-hmm. night terror like realm. Uh, so there's going to be a bunch of those for the two months, which sounds a little, I don't know, gimmicky. Gimmicky. I was going to say convergency or yeah. maybe even uh, like future state. You know, all these little two issue minis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main book is going to be Joshua Williamson with Howard Porter, although with some additional work by Gillen March, which is just you know, puts everyone in a, a great mood. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. but uh, they also announced that it's going to be uh, set up in the, the free comic book day uh, you know book they always do for yeah. the, the upcoming the, event the zero or whatever it's called yeah so uh, yeah. that's coming uh, there's some nice uh, variant covers for some of the, the, the minis by uh, uh, Matina uh, in the article mm-hmm. but uh, yeah also a positive thing about Gillam March is that he's our worst nightmare in art so it's <laughs> He's perfect for this, is what you're saying. Yeah. He is a night terror. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I'm not yeah. super excited for this because it's just, it, much like Lazarus Planet, it just kind of feels like another one of these weird little gimmicky ones yeah. as opposed to like a proper big, important event. It sounds like an yeah. excuse to do a lot of like weird dream issues with different characters, which is fine, yeah. but I'm not that excited about it. I, um, it'll depend on who the creatives are on some of these, right? Like, um, because I feel like we've already gotten some of these nightmare scenarios from you know Batman and Superman over the last couple of years, so um, it'll it'll be to see how how they can top those. Um, 
Like, I don't want to see Batman against his parents again. Uh, it's one of these things that, you know, I think the more you read single-issue comics and you go through, like, different events, like, I, I think you get kind of tired of these ones where it's an excuse to do a bunch of one-shots or miniseries where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we're doing... Because remember, um... What was that event we just had at the start, end of last year? How about the uh, one, uh, Endless Winter? No, Dark Crisis, something could have. Uh, <laughs> At event. <laughs> but, but you know how we did like like we did like seven one shots that were World Without yeah. a Justice League, and it was all just yeah. them inside their dream world, and it's yeah, that's what I mean. That yeah. feels very similar to this. So yeah, not feeling super pumped about the broad concept of it. Maybe the main story will be fun, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but it's an all Joshua Wilson led event, which yeah, eh, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm ready for someone else to take the event uh, yeah. baton and run with it, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think he's proven at this point that he's a bit messy when it comes to trying to do these things, because Dark Crisis had its moments and those things I liked about it, but it mm-hmm. definitely had its big failings as well yeah. by the end. So for sure. Just get some fresh blood in there, too, see what they got. Yeah, but, I mean, that's how, he, that's how he started getting them, right? So, you know. Yeah, more on him later, of course, because he's mm-hmm. the, the writer in the new Superman book, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing for news, which is not comic book specifically related, but I, I should probably just briefly mention that they finally unveiled uh, the Suicide Squad video game this week, uh, Kill the Justice League, uh, which is, the stories like, Brainiacs infected all the Justice League, they're all evil now, and the Suicide Squad have to, like, kill the Justice League uh, to, like, save the world, which, you know, th- th- how you feel about that story is just kind of like, are you sick of uh, evil versions of the main characters and are you sick of Suicide yes. Squad? Uh, but, Outside of that, though, the actual video game itself looks really generic, and is it's from the makers of who did the Arkham games, which were great, and this feels like it's, like, trying to appeal to the Fortnite crowd. It's, like, a multiplayer game. Uh, it's got a battle pass. It's got, you know, gear ratings, and it's it's a bunch of video gaming mechanics designed to sell and make money, as opposed to, like, just a, you know, a proper... Story-based. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and it's always online. You can't play it offline at all, things like that. Just... Oh. Yeah, all, all these reasons. It, it feels like it's chasing a trend that people, everyone was sick of like four years ago. But <clears throat> so, what's a battle pass for the uninitiated? <laughs> well, I don't play games that have battle passes, but my understanding mm-hmm. of them is that when you play something like Fortnite, which is uh, mm-hmm. to be noted, is actually free to play. You don't have to buy the game in the first right. place, right? Whereas with this game, you will. It'll be like a seventy dollar game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a battle pass is like you buy in for the next season of like what will be I don't know three months six months whatever mm-hmm. it is, and I think it like gives you more things you can unlock, but you still have to unlock them in the game. And I think it might also boost how quickly you gain XP. It's super like scummy. It's like so it, it's pay to win type stuff. K- kind of, uh, yeah. I think it, I think it depends what game it is. Some they don't all necessarily have that, yeah. but it's basically like. If you want to uh, keep up to date and actually get all the new things, you have to buy the Battle Pass to yeah. to, to be into it. Now, admittedly, yeah, it, yeah. I don't play multiplayer games, so I've never I, I had to actually deal with a Battle Pass. This is my broad understanding of it, just from yeah. the outside. Uh, so, yeah. but this is one of those things, though. They showed the game off, and like the more they showed and the more they talked about it, like the 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 interest was just plummeting, and it wasn't just me either. It seems like the entire internet is. I was gonna say a lot of way. a lot of my my Twitter friends, um, who are into video games, are all taking their shots at it. It wasn't just you, yeah, you know. So, um, and these are guys that are well rounded when it comes to games, you know. Um, so it's not just they're oddly specific, um, 
but yeah, a lot yeah. of them were, were were saying the same stuff along the same lines as you were about how how could they think this was a good idea type of stuff. It's um, uh, it's it was repeating a lot of the same mistakes the Avengers game did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It, it it was reminding people of Anthem, which you won't know what that is, but that was another big failure from the people who made yeah. Mass Effect, where it's this multiplayer game where you're it's all co-op and. Yeah. Which is funny, right? Because isn't Mass Effect really, really like decision based? Mass and, Effect like, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. So them them trying to do something different, I almost understand because it seems like they were trying to do something different. But this just seems like you said earlier, an excuse to print money. Um, if it if it hits, it's basically because so. Fortnite does well, so everyone wants to try and make money that same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that yeah. that was the first to do it, but that's the one that's the most successful. I yeah. Think. I remember one of the guys I worked with was telling me he's a big, you know, online gamer and he's playing Destiny. And it got to the point where he was getting tired of it because all the kids were on there just like ruining their, their time. And then Fortnite got released and he realized all the kids that were causing problems in Destiny just went to Fortnite. <laughs> and, and he's not playing Fortnite. So, yeah, please. So every time someone takes digs at Fortnite, he's like, no. It's good. Let the kids have their space. It keeps them <laughs> off my Destiny server. <laughs> so That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Destiny is like one of the few kind of successful examples where yeah. the whole point is it's called games as a service, and the idea is that it's this yeah. constant thing that's always there. But I, I, I'm not fond of it because I like a game to have a beginning, middle, and end, and feel like a tight yeah. story. And I also don't like the idea that if one day they decide to like shut the search servers off, the game just can't be played anymore. You know, one, yeah, one, one day it'll just be gone. That's, uh... Yeah, and again with Fortnite, that that's okay because it's only it's free, right? You didn't spend that extra money. Mm. But with the Suicide Squad game and it's online only, I'd say I don't like that. In fact, on yeah. that subject, the Avengers game, they announced that that's shutting down its servers. You can still play the story offline, mm-hmm. and it, at least, but the main point of it was supposed to be that you can co-op with all your friends and you can do all these yeah. things and it'll last forever. And they're shutting down the servers like two <laughs> years after it came out. It, it bombs so yeah. hard that they don't see the the value yeah. in like keeping them up and running. <laughs> the... The best thing that came out of the Avengers for me was a Twitter thread with wrestler Brian Cage not understanding Miss Marvel as a character because he thought <laughs> that she was she was just made for the game and people explaining was like oh no she's Miss Marvel in the comics now and these are her powers and this is why she was included in the game and he was just like look I just want to play as as Hulk and Wolverine okay I don't want to have to play as Miss Marvel if I don't want to it was just it was very funny old old man kind of screams at Cloud but. Um, you know, he eventually came around and learned. Maybe I don't talk about video games on, on Twitter. I don't know. Yeah, so it was all just a bit sad, and you know, it, it comes just like it's less than a year after Gotham Knights, which, like, I like the idea of more, but the game, from all accounts, is pretty rough. Uh, is that another multiplayer one? It was designed to be co-op, and it's all yeah. armor ratings and stuff like that. Uh. And it's this thing where they must have known there was going to be, like, a bad reaction to this, mm-hmm. but it's like, games take so long to make that, like, pivoting would have meant delaying it for a long time. <laughs> it's like stopping a very long train. Yeah. Where we're just like, it's it's too fast the part, we're just gonna it, go with it. Do you know what the sad part is? Is that, like, everything they talk about feels like damage control, because yeah. it was like, just today I saw a headline when I was looking to see if there was any news and I was getting the Night Terror stuff. I saw a headline that said, oh, uh, Suicide Squad developers say that, yeah, there's a battle pass, but don't worry, it's only cosmetic items. And that's what that's what they try and say to, like, oh, don't worry, it won't affect the gameplay. It's just for, like, new right. outfits and skins and, like, you know, colors for your weapons yeah. and stuff like that. And it's, like, you're, 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 you're trying to, like, 
you're doing damage control. If you're doing damage control, then something's not quite right. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we see through all this shit because we've been, like, video games have been trying to force it on us for the last, like, 10 years. So, um, and a, a lot of the, you know, a lot of publishers have, have, have changed direction because the backlash and just the failure, like, Anthem bombed, Avengers bombed. Every game that's, says oh we're going to be this big thing for like a decade and you're going to be like playing this like it's your second life they all fail uh kind of like uh with like you know these shared universe like movie franchises yeah. they all try to do the mcu and they're all failing immediately uh and it's like oh yeah, is dark that universe anyone yeah dark universe yeah. good example so yeah so that sucks i have no interest in playing it even for cheap i don't even want to buy it cheap later like i'm done like i'm yeah. good it, it even looked... though even i remember when it was announced uh with that trailer you're like this could be interesting but the gameplay is going to be a, a big factor yeah so um you know uh but yeah i think i think it's funny this is the most i've talked about video games in quite a long time <laughs> yeah you uh played god of war yet matt yeah no, I haven't really touched any game stuff. My my PlayStation Four is essentially just a Blu-ray player at this point. Um, <laughs> when we when we watch Blu-ray, if, it, if it's not on streaming somewhere, um, but yeah. So no, I I started it. I got like ten minutes in, we had to leave, and I never went back to it. Ten it was minutes. Just, yeah, it was. He was. I had to drag this boat through something, um, and I was just like, I'll get back to this, and I just I never have. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. My brother yells at me all the time because God of War Four is his favorite game of all time. Just, that and Last of Us. But it's just funny to um, me, like how quickly you gave up. Like I had to drag a ball well, yeah, somewhere. <laughs> it wasn't a give up. It was the all right. I have fifteen minutes, and I thought I would, you know, get to the first save point, and I I didn't, you know, because it's it's methodically uh, paced. Um, and we got up to leave, and then I just, you know, it's on there. I still have all the Uncharted games as well. So, oh, I should know. play those. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, I think the last game I really played was Tony Hawk. That was the last one I got into when they did the, uh, what's that called? Um, well, the HD remake. Yeah, the remake. Is it a remake? It was Tony. I Ox guess it is. Yeah, Tony Hawk's one and yeah. two. Yeah, that was a remake. Yeah. first though, Yeah. It it was that, and I played through that during the pandemic. Um, so, but yeah, fun fun times. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, Suicide Squad doesn't look very good. That's a shame. <laughs> but here we are. Um, yeah. Oh, and Shazam 2's box office tracking for its opening weekend is looking pretty dismal. It's looking like yeah. it's... Uh, and then uh, all the... For, for Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, mm -hmm. a friend sent me an article in which uh, test audiences have said it's the worst <laughs> DCU movie oh, ever. Oh, I, I was like... Yeah, yeah. I think I saw the headlines saying that like the, yeah. the, some of the test audience walked out, which yeah, like and <laughs> and I'm I'm looking at the cast and they're they're adapting. It seems like the Zebel stuff, mm. and I'm like, even if it's just mediocre, right? That's not walkout worthy. So what what is on screen that you know? I just I can't imagine Aquaman two. You know, it's it's just one of those ones. Uh, well, so, I mean, Shazam 2 already feels like it's been sent out to just die and get rid of it as quickly yeah. as possible, so it doesn't surprise yeah. me that Aquaman 2 is probably going to end up feeling the same when that comes out. Yeah. But, I mean, worst DCU, like, Suicide Squad's there. Like, is it as bad as that? Well, yeah, but that was different people in charge. Like, I think if you're in yeah. charge of it now, your, your thinking is probably, 
oh, we can't have something else that's even like remotely like that again. So it's yeah. not it's not saying that it's as bad as that, but it's saying that yeah. the new standard that they're trying to work to is gotcha. you know that's the, that's the way I'm looking at it anyway. Gotcha. Um, yeah, on that subject, actually, it's just a minor thing, but uh, HBO Max were doing Dead Boy Detectives, a TV show, mm-hmm. um, and it's moved to Netflix. And the reason why it's moved is and why HBO Max don't want it anymore is because while it's based on a DC property, it doesn't like fit into like James Gunn and Peter Safran's DC right. like plans. So they're just sort of giving it to somewhere else to do it on its own, which uh, honestly I mean, is not that. I think that's fair it, enough to be honest. Yeah, let it be its own thing without people seeing the DC logo, you know. Um, and thinking it's something that it's not, so yeah, maybe even that's goes, cool. Maybe it goes better there because uh, they've already got Sandman on Netflix, so maybe yeah, it's an old gaming property, so why not? Yeah, it's um, cool. Yeah, so there you go. There's your there's your news for the week, which was just <laughs> Suicide Squad complaining for the most part. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, dear! And the, do you know what's the thing? Games take so long to develop that I think they probably started developing this game before that first movie came out. That's how long they've been developing that game. Good lord. So they were probably hoping that that was going to be DC's Guardians of the Galaxy. And it felt like that's what they wanted it to be, yeah. that movie. And obviously that didn't pan out. So no. it kind of feels like this relic from a time from before. It kind of in the same way that these movies that are coming out in the next year or so feel like they're holdovers from a previous era. So, anywho, that's, uh, that's the news. So let's get into the books then. We got, um... Superman issue one, Joshua Wilson writing with Jamal Campbell on the art. So we have our, our first big proper like book from this uh, Dawn of DC yeah. line, effectively. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very spread out. So yeah, we're, this is the first one we're really getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, which isn't, I mean, the, 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 the banner doesn't really mean a whole lot other than there's just a bunch no. of new books starting. Um, so yeah, we have uh, Superman uh you know back at daily planet lois is in charge she's uh, filling in for perry as editor whilst uh, mm-hmm. he's off on sabbatical or something they said yeah because remember his brain broke because of the uh he wasn't in the bubble he was like on the on the outskirts and was it uh, action 1050 oh uh, you're right you're right yeah yeah so he's he's taking time away and she's now the chief and uh, i don't know if it agrees with her <laughs> she's, <not. laughs> she's I all I could keep thinking of was the the uh, previous writers, you know, her her lack of spelling uh, prowess and she's, she's grammatical a, errors. She's a tyrant in this. She, she comes yes. out of that office saying, "You thought Perry was bad. Get back to work, you bunch yep. of lazy slackers." Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the opening's just kind of a fun bit where Superman is dealing with live wire and then ends up officiating a wedding because the uh, the the priest or whoever ran off. So. Uh, the big thing, though, in this issue is that Lex is talking to Clark from prison, like, like the whole issue. Like, we get these uh, bubbles, and at first I wasn't sure, like, is he, like, beaming them to him telepathically yeah. or whatever? Obviously, Superman explains it a little bit later on, is that, and this is something that's come up before, is the idea that Superman, he's kind of focused his hearing in his life to sort of listen mm-hmm. for certain voices, and he's done it for Lois and John and his parents, Uh and Bruce, as Lois points out, which I thought was quite and funny. It, yeah. I, I love that she's like a little bit jealous that Bruce is uh-huh. kind of like his bromance. Yeah. I don't know, that was cool. The, but, the and Bruce section really made me laugh. Yeah. So, but the other one's Lex, and not because he's a friend, obviously, but because like yeah. in case he's up to something kind of thing. So right. Lex knows this and is just talking to Superman the whole time. I like also that from the prison perspective, Lex is just talking to himself, <laughs> like, rambling about Superman. 
which just that visual is hilarious to me. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's a funny time. Uh, so we get the status quo. We we sell this idea that Clark listens to music to try and focus his hearing a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, give him something to focus on. Uh, so the art, of course, is gorgeous. Uh, that yeah, panel, Campbell's. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say that panel of Lois stepping out of the office and yelling mm-hmm. just looks great. And I was like Campbell's because uh, he did the colors too, right? I think Campbell was all his art. Um, just the yellows and the purples and you know the golds, everything just washes Metropolis over to make it look like this gem of a city, and it's yeah, it's really beautiful. And there's some little things where like, they're in the office and it's after she's been talking to everyone and she grabs Clark's tie. There's one panel where it turns to like a red background instead of a blue. And she mm-hmm. says, I'm a predator. I got to hunt for a story. And if I don't get one soon, I'm going to eat an intern. And it just shows how <laughs> cooped up she is that she's getting this cabin fever being held back at the yeah. office. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But yeah. So the big thing though is that this sets up uh, where the story's going. Um, it reestablishes that Clark's got his secret identity. Like him and Lois have to like hide the fact that they're kissing on the roof yeah. uh, in front of Jimmy. Uh, it looks like there's a disaster. It looks like there's some sort of like weird blue and red tornado happening around the Lexcart yeah. building. But the big reveal is that these were nanobots building a giant Superman emblem at the top of the building. This is now the Superman Tower. Supercore. Uh, so well, so no, it's Supercorp. We find out as the company mm-hmm. in the next section. But just from this right. page, it's like this. Okay, we've got a Superman Tower. And then yeah. Mercy takes him around and shows, no, 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 Lex has decided that there's bad stuff coming and that, you know, he's got all these resources, he's got all these good scientists that he's sort of gobbled up with his money over time, and he's now giving Superman all these resources. Um, now, I'm sure he's got something up his sleeve, because he always does, but at least mm-hmm. at face value right now, he's saying, this is your company now, Superman. And Superman tries to give them away, and Mercy's like, nah, like, he said that if you try and, like, like give ownership, he'll just, like, fire everyone in the city. Oh, that, and again, how do you get to Superman is you go after everybody else, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, um, I like the art style changes here with uh, Campbell, because you have, like, the kind of chibi version of Superman showing him around it's, like this. Well, I, I took this as a... This is like, you know, in like Jurassic Park, you got the Dino DNA yeah. cartoon. This is like a cartoon mm-hmm. that's playing on a TV or whatever yeah. in the building. Well, that, but, and, I, and I like that too, because you get the chibi version, but then that cartoony version of Metropolis looks like the, the um, Bruce Tim Paul Dini animated series style. You know, the thick lines, and uh, it just, it really works out as a, as a shift. And Campbell's really good at making that shift, I think. Yeah, I mean, even that last panel on that page is Superman surrounded by all the employees yeah. wearing Superman emblems. It's very mm-hmm. uh, like an old propaganda poster from the, yeah. the 40s or whatever. It's, it's, there's a very intentional style. Uh, so Superman doesn't know how to take this and the fact that he's emblems everywhere all over this building. He doesn't really quite understand. Uh, but he just He's just a blue-collar guy from Kansas. This is all more alien to him than anything in the Fortress of Solitude, right? There's there's an interesting premise here of like Lex finally saying, you know what, I'm putting this stupid rivalry aside. How can I help Superman like protect the world better? Here, take my money. No, <laughs> seriously, take my money. Well, but it also fits in with what Williamson was doing with um, Lex and the uh, Batman Incorporated stuff. You know, back mm. in, in when he had that short arc. So um, it, it tracks with this version of Luther, who's kind of subverting superheroes to get you know to his own end 
Uh, what did you think of the fact that Lex made himself a hologram that looks like Jor-El just to make Superman feel at home? Again, that, that was the thing that crossed the line, and I'm glad that how the art shows uh, Clark with the furrowed eyes, right? It just goes to that panel with him, and he's upset. Because um, I, I turned that page, and I saw the Lex, uh, you know, Jor-El combo, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> sir, sir, you, you stepped the line. Yeah, well, Superman storms off to go speak to speak to Lex, but of course he doesn't get there. Uh, mm-hmm. On his way, of course, uh, Parasite uh, is attacking, you know, a skill yeah. bus, and uh, Superman has to come in and, in fact, obviously the action here from Campbell, Campbell's great, mm-hmm. um, but we see that there's like a whole bunch of, uh, like, Parasites. Uh, yeah. When he tracks Parasite back to where he was coming from, um, Parasite says he's hungrier than ever because of all the testing that's happened on him, and we see all these, like, not his children, but like it's like he's like spread to other people. Other people have become parasite. Yeah, it's it's very like Venom or Carnage esque, you know. I like, I did like though, like Superman stomping the ground for a shockwave yeah. because as Lex keeps bickering in his ear, you can't touch right. him, Superman, or he'll uh, right. absorb your powers. So yeah. it's like okay, he's got some rules. He has to think outside the box and how mm-hmm. to how to fight him. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy that. Again, but, this is why rules are good, because rules mean that the hero has to work around them, and it's satisfying when he outsmarts the, the right. rules. Right. Which is, again, why I love Superman as a as a concept, right? Because he's a guy that is, you know, omnipowerful, and has to, you know, he has to live his life differently so he doesn't hurt other people, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, but he doesn't run away from that either, right? So... Um, so I hate these versions of Superman where he's up in isolation because, like, in in um, Kingdom Come, there's a very good reason why he's in isolation. So, uh, but you know, here, here, him doing the stomp and then seeing this family or not family uh, colony of of parasites, um, and then a very ominous the 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 bottom of that page, somebody grabbing that that you know it looks like a kryptonite scalpel. Um, and stuff is everything is just very creepy and ominous and i thought the the tone shift there was pretty good too from yeah. like superior action to to dark and creepy yeah it ends with lex saying you know you're not facing one of your enemies you're facing one of mine and that's why maybe lex mm-hmm. is actually going out his way to like try and give superman mm-hmm. like a boost um but we end with this creepy page where like i mean i don't know if we know this character he reminds me a little bit of the key with the hair but i don't think it's him no i think this is the um kryptonite claw guy that we we got the um oh the teaser for yeah the, yeah, the yeah. teaser for in this lesson last week or that could be somebody else because if you look on this page right so again very creepy he's hanging over uh bizarro who he's using blue kryptonite to cut into um and bizarro's missing some arms i want to point out he's missing well. arms it looks like there's body parts and jars in the foreground playing music on like an old um phonogram also creepy but on that, um, the, with the accomplice on this row of monitors, you have all these other um, what look like Superman villains. So it looks like Maxima and Silver Banshee, Lobo. I think that's Livewire um, in the main part. But then also there's like just rows of Kryptonite. So maybe this isn't the Kryptonite Claw. Maybe Kryptonite Claw is one of the people that this guy or this whoever this is is going to, you know, Try to throw at Superman. Yeah, um, so the last panel is this newspaper clipping on the wall, which I'm assuming is from when Lex mm-hmm. still had hair and Lex first mm-hmm. sort of came to prominence in Metropolis. Mm-hmm. 
because uh, it says who's Metropolis new hero and there's like a dart in it said um i do i am curious about like this idea of like this villain who is like harvesting or experimenting in all of superman's villains or at least mm-hmm. is intending to um and how long have they been around and like what is their beast with lex um i like the idea that we're keeping music as a theme because obviously clark's been listening to music we see the flashback of him yeah. listening to music as a kid at the start when he's trying That's... to control his hearing we see him with yeah. the headphones in the middle of the issue and then here at the end while this creepy operation's happening on bizarro they've got an old like sort of gramophone playing music mm-hmm. which actually gives you a good bit of sense of uh atmosphere i can imagine like some old timey song playing in that uh-huh. as as he's cutting into him yep me too i can almost hear like the, the the wobbly horns and stuff yeah but i think that's a very intentional like theme that they've, they've kept up throughout the yeah. issue that, that links superman to this villain uh and yeah. what's going on there so that's that's kind of neat uh yeah. it's a pretty solid first issue it kind of reaffirms superman status quo here this is superman away from all the other super characters you know so mm-hmm. action is going to have the kids and supergirl and and john and like the entire family Mm-hmm. This is more Superman with Lois, Jimmy's around, we're dealing with Lex. It's kind of the core characters of the mythos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not like, I don't want to call it a back to basics, because this is, you know, uh, this is a, a very Superman story. Um, but it feels different than even, like, uh, Philip County Johnson's Warworld stuff and and Bendis's take on Superman. Um, but in a good way. Like, um it has all the hallmarks of what I'm looking for in a Superman comic, right? Um, and, like, the whole Lex subversion of him wanting to help uh, Superman because this is one of his villains. It, you know, someone that hates Lex, not, you know, necessarily Superman. I loved all that stuff. That was a nice addition, you know. Well, that's, it, but... that's one of your hooks. So there's three main things mm-hmm. here that it's trying to hook you on. It's hooking you on uh, the differences, right? So it's like, okay, it's classic Superman setup, but Lois is the editor. Uh, classic Superman set up but Lex is at least claiming and wants to help Superman Mm -hmm. and then you've got the tease of this new villain who might be a bigger bad than everyone else but otherwise it's a very you know Clark's back at the Daily Planet he's writing articles uh, you know it's playing with the the basics uh, more so whereas action it feels like that's been allowed to explore the new family life with all these other characters and stuff that's almost Superman in a mythological sense and that's that's what I've loved about Philip Kennedy Johnson's, you know, since he took over for the war world stuff. It's a Superman is this big, huge ideal. Uh, here is much more, felt like this is more of a Clark book than a Superman book, if that makes sense. Because um, we're really focused on him with the music, like, with, you know, the flashback at the beginning with, with his parents, you know, and him using the music to, to focus, you know, because of his hearing and whatever. Um, but no, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, and also, I want to bring up that page where, uh, right after the title page that kind of acts as a quick little origin and I just think that's Campbell doing some really good uh, artwork as well because it's got Superman taking one of the Livewire's bolts and saving people and that's all blue and then uh, his cape flows out and you have all the red which is you know his history you see you know Jor-El and Laura and the spaceship and the Kent's finding him and even him meeting Lex yeah, there. this is a two-page uh, yeah. layout, yeah. Yeah, so, and it's just, again, Campbell's, you know, the colors, you know, you're playing with the blue and the red because of Superman, but it also, in the story sense, everything's there. Um, but yeah, no, I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. I had a big, stupid smile on my face reading this. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it feels as promising to me initially as, like, 
Johnson stuff and action did. Mm-hmm. You know, we we got those first couple issues, which weren't technically even action. It was uh, yeah. you know, the future state issues. Future state. But like that was instantly like, oh shit, this feels like it could be special. I think this feels really mm-hmm. solid. Like I really like this first issue. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, Williamson, I think, has more misses than hits with me at this point, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to get my my hopes up too high. But uh, R's really nice. Uh, characterization mm-hmm. for the characters is is fun so far. So yeah, yeah. There's, there's little to to be upset about certainly. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Maybe maybe Williamson is just now. Admittedly, his flash one did still also tank after a while, but maybe it, Williamson it, maybe Williamson is better suited to a solo yeah. character and their supporting cast rather than the big event that has, you know, right. 150 characters in it. Yeah, it did It did take his flash, you know, up until that shade issue, where it really, that's where it was starting to fill the cracks. So that was like, so that was like 20 issues in. I'm probably way off, but, you know, it was double shipping and all this other stuff. But uh, he, had a, he had a good start on Flash. So at least if this starts off as strong, I'll be happy. But yeah, but that was before it even got really good as well, because the, the good stuff mm-hmm. was up the build-up to the, the Flash War and the issue 50 mm-hmm. with Wally coming back and all that. Yeah. It was after that that it tanked. Like, once we got yeah. to the year one stuff and all the different forces, like, it just yeah. it, it just fizzled into this uh, nothingness. <laughs> yeah. We were all just kind of miserable reading. Uh, so, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see where this goes, but uh, it's a pretty solid first issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what are you giving Superman issue one? Um, um, at the gate, I'm giving this a nine. Uh, I'm just going with an eight. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. I think it's really good. But uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. So, mm-hmm. Superman issue one, Nightwing issue one hundred and one. Tom Taylor writing with Travis Moore on the art. So obviously, we had the the Titans become involved last issue, and we're building, of course, to a Titans book. But they're still here for this arc and. And Nightwing, and it picks up the thread from issue ninety eight with the uh, with Blockbuster's daughter, mm-hmm. who the demon was coming after, and the start of this issue uh, deals uh, with Neron coming uh, and sort of like, but the demons are like, oh, maybe we can go get her, or and like maybe fight the Titans, and Neron's like, you going to take on the daughter of Trigon? No, 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 no. I don't want to piss him off. Let's not, <laughs> let's yeah. let's not do that. Uh, let's not oh, do Neron. that. So instead, uh, he goes to <laughs> he goes to was the the king of uh, of Latva, Valava, Vatava, Vatava. Um, there you go. Yep. Uh, and forms a plan with him. We don't really get to quite see what the plan is. We just no. know that he's offering a plan, and we see how it maybe comes out to play a little bit later. But we see Blobbuster's daughter uh, playing with the Titan. She's playing make believe with Raven and Beast Boy, who's a unicorn. Yeah. Uh, and they're just having fun until Nightwing uh, and Bitewing show up. Uh, I do love the little joke here that when Beast Boy hears about the dog talking, he gets really kind of insecure. And <laughs> Nightwing's like, don't worry, you're the first talking dog that we all cared about. It's just, don't worry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was, that was kind of good fun. But yeah. yeah, so they're basically talking about protecting her and it was like a protective bubble around this house in the, in the woods. The only people that Ravens designate either allowed to come in can actually mm-hmm. come in without setting off a bunch of Arcana Arca- alarms and mm-hmm. whatever else. Her wards, as she says, um, and yeah, man, it's just good to have the Titans together in a story, and it doesn't feel like it just doesn't feel like the the prelude to the Titans book. It feels like a nice, you know, not a dip even. It feels like a a, a nice jaunt into Nightwing, right? Um, because it still feels very much like 
you know, what Taylor's been doing with his Dick's relationship with all these characters. And I was quite pleased to see the, you know, Blockbuster's daughter come back around. Yeah, I wasn't sure if we were getting more of her, but it was mm-hmm. just kind of nice that they're still protected her and that's still kind of yeah. like part of it. The the book then goes into uh, the, the sort of the mystery element of it, which is that they there's, they're, they're still dealing with the rubble of the old mm-hmm. Titans Tower, which comes into it. They mention, obviously, Dark Crisis and the Deathstroke fight. And there's someone buried beneath the rubble, and this concerns all of them greatly. Starfire lifts up the tons and tons of rubble to get to who it is. So cool. Such a nerd. I am. I, I love Corey. <laughs> She's great. Like, so she she goes up, right? And she, you know, she was the the principal of the school. She was the headmistress. Um, and you you just feel that from her that she's upset that all this happened. But she goes up and like supercharges. And, and and then dives while superheated underneath to, to lift up all this rubble. And it's just, you know, it's really cool that she gets a, a spotlight like that. So so thank you, Tom Taylor. Okay. You, you done fawning? I am. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Until the next issue of Poison Ivy. So we're good. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, but they find what looks like the dead corpse of the King of Lava. And it's like, wait, yeah. what? What's going on here? What? Why is he here? Yeah. Like, so it's like, okay, okay, whatever plan they have concocted has led to this, but we're not really sure, like, what's going on. Amanda Waller shows up and is pissed and is like, wait, you've got some important political figure here. We can't just ignore this. And she's barking orders at people. Yeah. Um, I mean, They're all trying to figure out why he would be there. It was, like, he one of the supervillains that was at the fight? Like, you know? Yeah, no one uh, knows. Which I also think adds to the mystery. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and then the uh, the coroner even like has this weird moment. She's got a big grin across her face, and he's like, "Why are you smiling?" And she's like, mm-hmm. "I just love a good mystery. <laughs> like I don't understand yeah. why he's there." Yeah. Um, so basically, though, she she ends up hitting Nightwing in the back of the head, uh, and then morphs her face, uh, and then turns into Nightwing. So she's a shapeshifter, mm-hmm. and she's like, "I did meet him once, though." Uh, and then walks out. So the cliffhanger at the end of the issue is. Nightwing's been knocked out with uh, a lab object. Like, I think it was a, cartel- a microscope or something yeah. like that. And this fake Nightwing walks out with a big grin on his face as they're going back to mm. uh, Blockbuster's daughter. So this was all a plan to infiltrate and get to Blockbuster's daughter. Um, yeah. My question is, though, is the king really dead? Because it didn't sound like he was agreeing to be murdered. Uh, and so was he no, betrayed? I think he's, I think he's the grinning man. You think he's the shapeshifter? Right? Yeah. yeah, I think he's the shapeshifter. So he shapeshifted when he got to the corner. That's why she was grinning and saying that she loved the, the mystery. Yeah. And because that was, that was him. So, so I, I looked up King of, of Latava and I was like, that's very familiar. Why do I know that country? Uh, that is where uh, Count Vertigo is from. Ah. Uh, so it's a small country. And then when you look at what Neron talks about, where he, whoever the king of Latava is, um, made a deal with Neron to become the king over there again. Um, so that's why this is Neron calling in his favor. You know, yeah, cause I did the, this for you. There's that so nice little beat in the conversation where uh, Neron's like, I need a favor. And he's like, oh, well, this means you still own my soul. He's like, yeah, I'll yeah. still own your soul. But I'll give you more time to enjoy all these things before yeah. I take it. And he's like, okay, okay, I've listened. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, we're getting a little bit of that that relationship there. Uh, it's an interesting issue because it's very different to what the book's been um, yeah. in, in kind of a, a fun way. Um, so 
the fact that we're doing this story with the rest of the Titans and maybe part of it's going to be them realizing that this isn't really Dick is going to play into the idea of, oh, this is his friend. So they would maybe recognize I, at some point. I think they're going to recognize it real, real, real quick. Well, um, if he doesn't stop grinning, even when they start talking yeah. about something awful, maybe they'll, uh, yeah. they'll get clued in. Yeah. I mean, cause that, that's kind of been Taylor's take on the Titans is they are that close, you know, they know each other in and out. So, but yeah, but yeah, there's a, a really fun, really fun little story after, you know, the build up to 100, you know, and, and seeing what Dick's going to do to change Bloodhaven. So to take this little almost side trip to, with the Titans back to Blockbuster's daughter, um, it's a lot of fun. Also, Travis Moore's art's pretty, pretty solid. Um, you know, the characters look really good. His grinning man is creepy, uh, especially when he's disguised as Dick. Um, but yeah, uh, pretty, pretty solid issue. Yeah, I think it did a really good job of setting up the or teasing that what was going on with the with Neron and the grinning man early on, and then like sort of like so it. It makes sense that the characters are all conserved and there's a body and they're like, shit, did we miss like a kid? Did a kid mm-hmm. die that we, we didn't account for? And they're, they're kind of really scared and nervous about it. Yeah. So I like the emotions from them in that scene and the build up to like actually finding the body and then the actual weirdness of what the body was, I think was a cool little thing. But because they set up like this was Nero and this other guy doing this early on, I actually, like it had a good payoff where it had a, you know, the bookend, mm-hmm. the beginning and an end that felt like it, it told a full chapter of a story. So when it got to that ending and the reveal, it was like, oh, this was all part of the plan. This is all like, so it was a good cliffhanger. You know, I'm, I'm excited yeah. to see what they, what they do with this next. So, uh, yeah. and like you said, Travis Moore's art is pretty solid. Obviously, yeah. Redondo's the best artist on the book, but he can't mm-hmm. be on every issue. So uh, yeah. Moore's definitely one of my favorite uh, alternates for the book. Yeah, so, for sure. Good. Uh, and of course, we have a backup now uh, as an ongoing yep. thing in Nightwing. Which I, I forgot about. I got to the end and there was still more book. And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, this is that uh, C.S. Picot story. Yeah, which uh, started in issue 100. Um, yep. So, yeah. Uh, so this, this is this is him training John. This is, this is uh, mm-hmm. him training John. And them going to like a, another uh, circus where something very similar to, to what happened to Dick is happening where... This kid almost falls to his death, but Nightwing comes in and like grabs him, and he's like, "No, I'm never letting this happen again." Um, and he's like, "This wasn't an accident. This rope's being cut." Uh, so you know, it's this kind of setting up a very personal style story. Uh, and there's even like a bomb in the audience. You know, John like scans the audience, and there's like a teddy bear with a bomb in it. Uh, so and that's basically the whole story. But it's all just about okay, someone's trying to like kill someone at the circus, or just like yeah. do this terrorist act and. Dick and John are going to uh, investigate it. Yeah. Uh, well, and, I, and I like the subtext of, you know, Dick explaining to John about being an aerialist isn't like, it isn't just all the flippy tricks and stuff. It's the trust that you have that someone's going to catch you. And the fact that, you know, Dick's trust could have been broken because, you know, his parents and uh, it's just his parents, right? Yeah. It was just him and his parents. The brothers of, of a movie adaptation. Um, I have, I have, sickness fog right now um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal that his sister's the mayor um so anyways yeah that he didn't have his parents to count on anymore and then um bruce came in you know and, and had that you know trust that they had that trust together and he wants that with john and just so there's like this nice protective you know older sibling thing with with dick and john that i really like 
and it's it's apparent and it's very few this is like what five pages four pages i mean it's a little bit um, longer than that but the fact that you think longer. it was that short tells you how yeah. quickly you read it yeah so and it's all very apparent through those quick so um but yeah really 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 liked it yeah, I mean, honestly, is it a good cliffhanger? So I'm intrigued what they do with more of the story, and because it is continuing this kind of this fun short story from issue 100, which was the idea that this is like Dick training John, mm-hmm. uh, getting a little slice of that every issue is probably going to feel quite good. I think Pansika's art and uh, this backup is pretty solid. It's not as quite as good yeah. as Moore, but I, I think it's a really solid uh, art for a backup. Sometimes I think what backups suffer from is you get two of them and like the artist is like. You know, someone you don't like as much as the the main story, so you feel this drop uh, mm-hmm. that is you know makes it less appealing to read. But honestly, mm-hmm. it still feels very much in style of what what Nightwing's been. I think uh, Pensika's maybe even done some issues here or there. Yeah, uh, before now. So. so yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, again, it's it's really hard to judge something that's only an eight page story. Uh, yeah, and it's not a full story yet because it's only a part of one. But yeah. I'm definitely more invested in reading this backup than I am some of the other backups that we get from DC. Mm-hmm. So, for sure. So you yeah, know, that's good. Uh, overall, uh, really solid issue uh, of mm-hmm. Nightwing. Um, honestly, if anything, it's getting maybe more of a low key issue just because some of the issues are so fantastic that this just feels like a normal one. But that's not a bad thing uh, in this case when it's a run that I'm enjoying this much. So, mm-hmm. uh, what are you giving Nightwing issue 101? I'm gonna give this an eight. Yeah, I agree with the eight. I I think it's a really solid issue of the run, but I wouldn't say it's like a standout <laughs> issue, you know, like you know some of the other big issues have been. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. Uh, Batman One Bad Day Clayface issue one Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly writing with Zermanico on the art. Uh, so this is the uh, what sixth of these I think we've done. Yeah. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. If I, that's kind. Yeah, yeah. I think this is six. Well, or seven. Hold on. There's the Mister Freeze one too, right? Yes. Yeah. So you had, you had Riddler, Two Face, Freeze, Bane, Catwoman. Yeah. So no Clayface. All right. Cool. So this is a uh, a story about Clayface going to Los Angeles to try and become an actor again, and not to really surprise anyone when he st- when things don't go his way he starts uh killing people and transforming into them to try <sighs> and work his way up the ladder that's yeah. the, that's the basic premise of what this issue is uh which honestly i was not expecting much from Lansing and kelly because i feel like yep. I, I tend to associate them with kind of just mediocre filling issues yeah, of mid, other runs. yeah like mid-range stuff that's not bad but it's certainly you don't remember too much of them yeah. Um, maybe, maybe this is just yeah. an example of if they get a full story to tell uh, tell something because yeah. this obviously is like 60 70 pages whatever it is yeah. it's actually enough to tell a full story and maybe if they get a chance to tell a full story they do something interesting with it or maybe it's just a good idea so I yeah I do like how different it feels than the other of these like they really took the the one bad day and you know just it, it being a script right uh, that they're writing it seems like as it goes mm-hmm. And then it incorporates the that um, like the scripting language, like the fade ins and the cuts and and all of that too. It it really played into Clayface well, as an actor. It's not a script that they're writing; it's a script that a character in the story's writing. Well, that's that's what I meant um, when I said they. I did not specify, um, but yeah. So just the fact that it takes all that into account and it 
and it's you know Clayface out of Gotham, which can't remember the last time I've seen a Clayface story where he's not in Gotham. So like, you know, and then granted he's not the big you know clay monster in in the whole thing, but just seeing these different spots in LA, you know, with with him in there, I thought it was really cool. Well, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good, interesting story about a shapeshifter character who cares about mm-hmm. being an actor. So we see him making... He's, he's got friends that he does, like, uh, you know, waiter work with uh, yeah. that are all struggling actors trying to make it in, in, in Hollywood. And he has this audition with someone else that he works with, and they both go, and Clayface... Uh, he's calling himself Clay. That's his alias. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's giving advice about it, and he goes in and does this audition, and it's dialogue or a kind of a re a retelling of like part of uh killing joke and there's like <sighs> joker with the the red hood like helmet and stuff yep. um but he basically goes in and does this like really serious dramatic take talking about how i'm a monster and i've like ruined people in gotham and the the director who doesn't throw him out or anything like that just no. basically says or the casting director I should say just basically says no nah, but we're going for something more light and quirky so can you make yeah. it more likable and he's like no, this is tragedy. He's a monster. He's the, all these regrets. He he has to do all these things. Um, and they basically say, oh, well, if you're that determined on that version, then go away. Like, you know, that's mm-hmm. fine. That's fine. We'll call you. And he's upset about it. And then he's with his friend who also auditioned. And then his friend gets the part. And mm-hmm. without even thinking about it, he immediately clays out and like kills the guy and becomes him so that he's now going to do oh. the part as him. Yeah. Because the the friend that went auditioned, right, did everything that they asked for. He was light. And earlier they were talking, like, he's a comedian. And so he's never going to get these leading man parts because they don't see him that way. Uh, yet he was perfect for this. And that drives Clayface insane but, that he, he muds out. Yeah, the funny thing is, though, is that when he's actually on set to do the role... He still uh-huh. plays it the same way he did before. So the yep. director and everyone's like, no, what was all the serious stuff? We wanted this light. Yeah. And he starts yelling about his vision and how he's an artist and how this is going to live for generations. And oh. the director sends everyone home and says, oh, you're one of these actors who thinks he can have it your way. So what does Clayface do? He kills the director. And becomes the director. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, uh. Actually, he kills the casting director first and becomes her. And then he goes and kills the, the director right. and becomes her. Uh, there's like a montage where he kills all the crew that were like looking at him poorly uh, yeah. during the shoot. But yeah, he, he... I love that it kind of becomes a slasher movie there, right? That he's Probably going bit, through yeah. and he's he's just offing people um, because he's not getting they're not seeing his vision, um, and and yeah. yeah. And then he becomes the director and he goes to the uh, like the studio executive's mansion and is like, <laughs> hey, this is this is the movie I'm going to make. And the guy's like, you know what? No, we've decided there's no franchise potential. There's basically some meta commentary about the movie industry yeah. in here. Uh, talking mm-hmm. about how, oh, everything has to have franchise potential. This little romantic comedy that you're trying to make is not happening. <laughs> so even though he's the director, there's someone up higher up the food chain saying, nah, we're not going to let you do this anymore. And what does Clayface do? You may ask. He kills the executive yeah. and becomes yep. the executive. You can see a trend forming. Is the but it it became like a funny thing almost to me like yep. in a dark way where I was kind of enjoying like oh you're gonna mm-hmm. get it you're you're about to die you have no no realization yep. there's no recourse you know you're, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's it's dangerous a, it's a great page as well it's a full page spread where Clayface basically like half of his body turns into the clay and just like sort of slams into the guy into the into the wall it's mm-hmm. it's almost like a big giant clay punch into the wall yeah uh, it looks really good 
And you've got like this big movie poster like uh, in the background. Yeah, yeah, like an old like film noir style. Right. Um, yeah, it's very cool. Very again, all the the set dressings by Zermanico here, you know, to make it feel like LA. And there's a great panel um, here of like Clayface. Work. He sits down at the guy's desk, but he's like smashed half of it, so it's kind of like mm-hmm. just in half. And he chooses to throw a party as this executive, and he invites his friends that we had at the start mm-hmm. of the issue. It was an older guy, and then like the woman. Uh-huh. Who's and a writer, he, right? Because he, he offers woman. to read her script, right? Uh, yeah, it's the young woman who's writing. Uh, and the yeah. end of the, the story reveals that she's been writing this script mm. that has been, we've been seeing hints of gotcha. uh, throughout. But mm-hmm. he throws this big suave party for, you know, ho- you know all the Hollywood elite or whoever, and invites his, fr- his wannabe actor and writer friends uh, from the start of the story. And they keep saying, where's the other guy that we all know? Because that's the guy yeah. that Clayface killed, you know, after the audition. Uh, and he keeps just sort of making excuses. Uh, and eventually, uh, after running into Bruce Wayne, who's the, the point out is here, Bruce is in town yep. for something. And of course, as a reader, we're all like, mm. He's on Clayface's trail for sure. Yeah, he's, he's here yep. looking for you, buddy. Um, yep. But he actually decides to try and tell his two friends who he really is. And immediately, they're like, wait a minute, did you kill our friend? Because yeah. you, just, you just admitted you're a killer. And our friends missing, yeah. and well, I also like that he. They said earlier as Clay, he says, "Oh yeah, the friend went back to whatever you know, whatever town he's from." And the writer goes, "No, he's an Angelino. He's he's from down the street. So did you kill him?" And I like that's. I like that the you know the friends actually piece it together because they were friends. You know, um, it showed that they they were connected. Uh, and that he just never really had that connection because he doesn't know. His Clayface just going through the motions of what he thinks a friend is. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's this idea that he's very self-absorbed, which is kind of ironic mm-hmm. given that he absorbs literally other people. Yeah. Uh, yep. there's, there's kind of a... It's, it's almost like he does belong in Hollywood with the way mm-hmm. he thinks. It's just that he doesn't have the power to enact it. But that's kind right. of what the, the monsters in Hollywood are. It's kind of what right. Clayface has become here. Uh, but he tries to like give a speech to the party, and the the guy friend uh, like punches through him with a broken bottle to show everyone that he's made of clay, um, and everyone starts running and screaming and crying. The lightning starts. There was, there was a line earlier on where uh, Basil says, "Oh, that's the great thing about LA; it never rains." Yeah. But it starts raining here, which I I, I chuckled at because it's actually a storm in LA, like right now. Right now, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the surrounding areas, like Big Bear, got hammered by a blizzard. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So he turns out a clay face proper, you know, the big clay monster you, you all know and love, and the rain's coming down. This is to me, this like last section is like where the art like really comes yeah. together so and America shines. Turns it up. I also love that he yells at Batman that you brought the weather with you. Yeah, you brought the rain from Gotham with you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Love that. Yeah. So Batman like comes down. There's a gorgeous full page of Clayface jumping off the the roof of the building, and he's like storming around. He ends up in like a park or whatever it is, and the rain's coming down. And he starts monologuing. And shout out to the letter and the the word balloonist mm-hmm. here because like when Clayface is talking as if he's Clayface and not like pretending to be a regular person, you get this more kind of bubbly kind of speech bubble. The text mm-hmm. is a little more wobbly. You, know, you kind of get the feeling that it's monstrous. Uh, and then you get that gorgeous two-page layout where Batman and Clayface are sort of like facing off, um, and because Clayface is whining, like, "Why did you come for me? Why couldn't you leave me be? Why couldn't you let me just do what I wanted to?" And Batman just says, nine people in one day." 
Yeah. You know, so it really uh, heavy emphasizes this one bad day. One one bad day, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Clayface and Batman fight. Turns out Batman's got like a like a clay a sonic su- disruptor. Well, yeah, but it's also like a suction thing because it basically sucks them into like a little like bat box. Almost, oh yeah, yeah, that part of it. Almost like a like the trap in Ghostbusters. Yeah, it <laughs> brings in the ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah, like obviously Batman wins. We get some nice uh, art of the city, sort of like yeah. sort of silent and still after the storm's over, um, and you know the the young writers finishing their script, and Clayface uh, is back in Arkham, and he's like split into multiple people uh, around the room, all the people that he's killed, and he's basically like his Clayface is in the middle, like his face made of clay is in the head. middle. Yeah. And he's saying, "I'm open to feedback. Is there any notes?" And he's sort of like, he's he's got like a kind of like a spider formation where mm-hmm. Clay's going out and making all the people that he's killed. And he's like, basically, he's showing that he's kind of crazy and he's talking to himself. Yeah. Basically, That's why he's in Arkham? Yes. Um, yeah. The way that 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 page starts with him just, uh, you know, a close up of his face, and then as it pulls back, and it's just the head, and then it pulls back, and he's in a room with these spider like, you know, tendrils coming off of him. To the last panel, which is the nine people he killed, standing over him and him offering, you know, the you know, but again, he's open to criticism. That irony. I'm open to yeah. feedback. When what got him into right. this mess in the first place was, is the second someone said, "No, we don't want it yeah. that way. Can you try it this way?" Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that's, yeah, the, that's, that's the beautiful so thing about it is I think we've all seen stories where someone auditions for something and they say you're not what we're looking for. This casting director said, hey, can you try it this way instead? They gave him the, the option to like do it the way they wanted, and yeah. he's like, no, I'm an artist. This is dramatic. This is not funny. This yeah. is not light and fun. That's, that's the part that really drove it home to me was that, you know, he is that good of an actor, but he has to have it his way, and he's so pretentious and, like you said, self-absorbed that, you know, they're going to have to do it his way. He's going to make it happen. Um so, yeah, that's really where the story took a turn to me, because I was enjoying it up to there. Um, and then when they dismiss him and he kills his friend and takes his friend's part, I was like, oh, now this is a Clayface story. This is, you know, this is real good. So. Yeah. No, I get into this quite a bit. It was, it was a, mm-hmm. a fun time. Uh, and I was expecting this to be the worst just because of who was writing that. So it's nice <laughs> that it's a pleasant surprise. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it makes me curious about their other stuff. I know they just did a, a Captain America book. Mm. Um We'll see maybe how, how that is. But I, I remember them writing a couple issues of, I want to say it was a Green Arrow, and it wasn't bad. Um, I don't remember what the contents of it were. It was it was, it, it was throwaway. I, I remember just thinking yeah. it was a bit of throwaway two-parter that yeah. I didn't need. So, but no, this them, and I feel like they have some experience in the Hollywood system with some of the digs they were taking, you know, about the, the, you know, the franchise potential and kind of self-absorbed actors that can't take criticism and all this other stuff. Um, it's like there was that little seed of it in there that I that really it really drove home the one bad day. It's like this is one really bad day for Basil. There's also that dramatic irony that someone who can literally be anyone is mm-hmm. determined to just be one thing. Yeah, you know, there's there's like an irony there where he can literally transform right. and be everyone, but no matter whose face he was wearing, he was still just acting like yeah. him. Yeah, he was still himself, which is a different place. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really good. And again, Dramatico, one of my favorite artists. So all the Clayface stuff in here, just really... Yeah, the, the art was solid throughout. But mm-hmm. like once we got to that that nighttime in the rain yeah. scene with the lightning in the background, Batman's coming after him. 
that stuff was just gorgeous. It was like it was yeah. all building up to that moment, and it felt very theatrical, which mm-hmm. is fitting for you know a, a, a story set in and yeah. like you know movie land. Yeah, effectively. Man, I would I would love for them to do this as an animated short. You know, like mm-hmm. a little thirty minute clippy short. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, you know, but yeah, no, I'm I'm glad. I was kind of running out of steam with these. I mean, the Catwoman one was fine. Um. And you know, it was the heist story and whatever. This was really this might be one of the best Clayface stories I've ever read. You know, I'm I'm really high on Tynan's detective run that used Clayface and what he did with the character there. Um but outside of that, I don't I can't think of too many off the top of my head, even though it's a character I really do like. We had so another the... we had another one shot with them after that, mm-hmm. and I can't remember where yeah. it was now, but there was something that I remember thinking yeah. praised quite a bit. But the Yeah, I think uh, this was solid. I mean, honestly the, I wasn't losing steam with these because, like, I mean, the Bane one was a bit weaker, mm-hmm. uh, but by and large, this one bad day has had a pretty good yeah. track record. It's had a pretty good, like, like average quality. I... Like, the first one with Riddler was the best one and it's not been topped, but there's been a lot of good stuff mm-hmm. throughout most of these. Um, Two-Face was a, maybe a little bit more middling as yeah. well, but, you know, I like the Mr. Freeze one. Uh, you know, the Catwoman one was solid. Um... Yeah, okay, we have, we have Ra's al Ghul. Oh, Penguin. This is seven because we missed Penguin. Yeah, okay. Penguin was pretty pretty decent too. Well, we still have Raz left, right? Is that the last one? We still have Raz. Raz is, I think, the last one. I think there's eight. So, and maybe they keep this gimmick going. Not gimmick. That sounds bad. But this this uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Format. Um, format going with other Bat villains, or even open it up to. Yeah, you could do a other... series of like uh, you know like Flash one bad day, and it's like, yeah. you know we could do maybe not eight. But like maybe yeah. like a handful of Flash villains, right. handful of Superman yeah. villains, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see a Sinestro one bad day. Oh sure, yeah. yeah. You know, so what would that look like? But yeah, excited for the for the Roz one is you know I'm, I do love Roz, but it's Tom Taylor, so um, curious to see what he. That's brings true. It's, it's in safe hands actually. As much this is this was obviously the opposite where mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting good things because of the writing team and was right. surprised. The Raz Algul one, I mean, hopefully it's not a complete opposite because the complete opposite would be <laughs> yeah. thinking I'm in safe hands and then being disappointed. Hopefully it's not that, but... Yeah, so... But yeah, definitely been way more good than with, with One Bad Day than, than not. And this, I, I put this one up there a lot. You know, like, yeah, that Riddler one is, is really, really good, but this might be my favorite of them just because of the story that they've, you know, that they chose to tell here. So, um, yeah, just all around good good vibes. Yeah. All right. What are you rating? Uh, one bad day, Clayface. I'm gonna give this an eight point five. Honestly, I like a very stretch to the nine on this. Ooh. All right. That was really good. Yeah. I mean, I gave the Riddler one like a ten. I think that was, that was yeah. perfect. But <laughs> uh, this was this was great. Yeah, it was good. So the Flash seven nine three Jeremy Adams writing with Roger Cruz on the art. This is part four of the One Minute War. Although the way it's written on the cover makes it look like it's part four of 60 because it's written like a time. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, how many issues are this we getting? Jeez. Yeah. Um, so, no, this uh, is basically the family forming a plan. They've got, like, a frozen Superman who mm-hmm. they know it down might eventually sort of adjust to the speed because yeah. he, he does move quicker than other people. So he may actually in some way comprehend that the stuff's happening around them, although it's all a bit of a, a blur. Uh, right. whereas regular people are just like frozen in time they can't see damn thing uh, but they're basically forming their plans they're talking to the the, the captive guy that they, they rescued from last issue 
uh and he's pretty doom and gloom about everything he's like oh we can't defeat them um i was like traveling through the multiverse when they grabbed me and we get some sweet moments with jesse and and irie uh, they end up teaming up together a little bit later uh and they, they you know they say things like flash girls rule stuff like that they write that in the uh the tank thing um but it's basically forming a plan which revolves involves wally super speed force like adjusting his car to be the the flash mobile so yeah. they can drive it in and shut off like the fraction spire which is what's like driving all their speed tech that's uh-huh. letting them do this because if they turn that off i have to assume at that point the flash family can just take them out as if it's nothing yeah. like they're, right. they're screwed because that's that's what the this multiverse traveler is telling them is that they have the edge because you know they can get the drop on people and before they realize it they're gone you know um, but the fact that if the Flash can shut it off, I'm sure that they don't stand a chance, even with Miss Murder. You know, I don't think they stand a chance against the Flash family. Not at all. So they also have to take their parts in this plan, uh, which is Wally's going to drive in and try and disrupt it. Uh, the others are going to try and open a barrier, uh, mm-hmm. which at first this looks like it's a bunch of the guys uh, that are doing mm-hmm. that, but they're just a diversion to distract everyone. Uh, yep. And Irie is left behind. She wants to go with everyone, but uh, Jesse says, no, stay back and you know, have, guard everyone. She, yeah, she gets to guard Superman, you know, and, and the rest of the people. She has the most important job. And her uh, brother, like that. Uh, who she uh, reads comics to, because yes. she thinks maybe he can hear it. <laughs> yeah, so, that was also really sweet. That was, yeah, that was a know? sweet beat. It was a sweet beat. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're just kind of, it's kind of like a, a patronizing job. But little mm-hmm. did they know when they gave her that job that Miss Murder was going to show up yeah. and leave her like to fend for herself oh. against the the big villain of the whole thing. I do hope this becomes Home Alone starring Irie West. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I- I'll get into it. Uh, yeah. There's a heart to heart between Barry and Wally, where Barry reveals that you know Iris proposed and they were going to get married, mm-hmm. uh, and mentions that even like they remembered being married from a previous timeline. And like so, they're kind of waiting for it to happen again. Uh, so it's kind of a sweet moment, um, and it's all built up that this might be a bit of a suicide mission for Wally. Uh, and of course, we're not at the end of the story yet. We have to get to the darkest part of the story. So it looks like Wally dies. Obviously, he's definitely not. But right. um, the car is like they've got like a safety mechanism that basically just like it's like a f- disruptor field that kind of vibrates mm-hmm. the car. Wally tries to like vibrate away from it. And he can't. So we basically just have this like a uh, black smoke and a hole left where the car was. So it never made it to his uh, destination. Um, and the the main fraction guys like got Jay knocked out uh, with the lightning rod thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Irie is running away from Miss Murder, who's now shown up to try and find all the heroes. Yeah. So yeah, we're at the, we're at the darkest part of the story. But we're at the low point at the end of Act Two. Uh, so. All hope seems lost, but I have no doubt the Flash family yeah. will succeed. Oh yeah, for sure. Also, I do love the with Jay, um, where the the fraction guy is like, "That was your plan, you know? Open up a section for what a frontal assault." And Jay's like, "No, nah, that'd just be stupid." And then it's you know it's the diversion, and that's where Wally drives through. Um, I just thought that was so good, and then yeah, yeah and then the it zaps him, and you're like, "Oh crap." Yeah, it's Jesse and Linda who are actually yeah. opening the real part that Wally's going to drive through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Wally's like darting around in the car, dodging their cannons and whatnot, but they have a defense mechanism that they yeah. didn't predict coming. 
No. So, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, it's a pretty straightforward issue, but it, it's, it makes sense. There's some sweet moments between uh, Irie and both Jesse and her brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's obviously the big heart-to-heart with Wally and Barry, which is quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't believe that Iris is truly dead and is going to stay dead, of course, but uh, it makes yeah. sense for them to have this beat here. So, yeah. you know. I, I'm sure she's... Because she's, I remember reading something in the solicits about them mourning uh, Iris, but, may, you know, I'm sure Adams has, a, you know, an ace up his sleeve. With I'm all sure, I'm stuff. sure. So, I mean, it's not even the first time that a, a West family member's died and come back in the same story. So... Not at all. Not at all. So, you know. Uh, you know, it's still solid. <clears throat> yeah, Roger Chrissy's art is... is it's all right. You know, it's, it's got some mm-hmm. fun beats. Uh, it's not uh, the best art that's been on the book, certainly, but he's definitely a, a solid enough hand, especially yeah. right now that they're doing these double shipping issues, so they're not obviously got one yeah. artist and everything. For sure. Yeah, it gets a little bit scratchier towards the back, you know, a little bit more of that sketch style. Um, but again, it's not bad. It's just it's, it's I the think... style. It's a little bit more loose. I like his action more than I think I like his faces in the scenes where yeah. it's just characters talking. I don't think that's yes. necessarily his strength. No. Um, just because he he does some sort of angular faces that I'm not mm-hmm. as into. But when it's stuff like the running around or the, or the yeah. Wally in the car stuff, it, it does have a bit more of a, a cool yeah. look to it. It's almost like mm. he's better at inanimate objects or at motion than, yeah. you know, facial acting, I suppose, if you want For to call sure. it that. For sure. Um, but... Yeah, it was a solid chapter. I don't have like a ton to say on it because it is very much the middle story of mm-hmm. of of a story like this. But uh, it was a solid, you know, version of it. Um, yeah, you know, I I really like Jesse and Irie just because when you think about you know the Flash ladies, you know, Jesse Quick is kind of the first of them. Um, so the fact now that you know she's also she's not just Wally's legacy; she's kind of the legacy to Jesse as well. You know, so the fact that they're bonding as the Flash girls and stuff. Um, uh, yeah, it was, I really like that. Yeah, that was one of the sweet moments, I think. Yeah, I mean, I can't even think of them interacting together. Since, you know, certainly since, I mean, maybe before, like, New 52. <laughs> but Yeah, but even then, they were kind of, you know, they were just kind of young kids. They weren't at this age where they are now, you know. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they have that bonding, and we see that with, you know, Wally and, and Wallace, or Bart and Jay and Bart and Max. But it's nice that, you know, Jesse and Irie, Adams is showing us their their connection as well. So, um, yeah, just again, it really builds on the sweet moments. Adams knows that balance of action and, you know, where, where to hit you with the emotions. Yeah, I mean, this was an issue where it was the sweet moments and the, the planning building up to the, the, the hurrah that they might win. But, yeah, of course, no, it's, this is the dark moment of the story. This is where mm-hmm. you're at your worst and lowest point. So, uh, I believe that's called in in Joseph Campbell the belly of the whale moment. So, if I remember, you know, my my college level classes. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> what are you rating the Flash seven nine three? I'm gonna give it seven point five. <clears throat> uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Seven point five seems fair. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Lazarus Planet Omega issue one. Mark Wade writing with a few different artists uh, on it because it's a it's a bigger book, yeah. of course. Uh, although one of the artists will be on the backup, admittedly. 
which I was glad mm-hmm. I had a backup because I was worried that this was going to be really long. And then I was yeah. like, oh yeah, that's right. Though. There's a backup of Monkey Prince that I don't need to read. So <laughs> yeah, I I was crunched for time. I didn't read that one this week. Oh, did you not so, know? No, I'll get to it. I have it bookmarked still in the old iPad. So, um, but yeah, I did read the the main story first. So I think it was the first thing I read this week. Yeah, it, this has kind of been a weird little two-parter because obviously, like, it's this setup for all these like one-shots and like mm-hmm. collections we've had in between the two issues. Uh, so going into this, obviously, Frederici's art's fantastic. Seeing Zatanna and his art's great. Robin, mm-hmm. um, all these different characters, especially when like the the cavalry show up and we get to see Joe <laughs> and Frederici art, and we get to see. Yeah. It just, you know, a variety of characters. That's all really nice stuff. The actual fight and the actual conflict of the story is just kind of like, that's eh, all right, you know? I, I, there's a lot of fighting, yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on, but fundamentally, all it really boils down to is Black Alice decides to, like, damn near kill herself to, like, put all the magic back in the places that it was <clears> taken <throat> from. So she puts all the magic back into Zatanna, back into the Spectre, back into whoever, you know, everyone. Um... And at the end, all of the magic characters, both good and evil, all show up to take on the, the Fire King bull because, hey, right. dick, like, we're not happy with you. So everyone yeah, comes and gets them. Yeah, world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it, basically what it boils down to, but it takes a lot of pages to get there. Yeah. Well, I do like that it also breaks it up with the conversations. So we get all the action, but we also get the conversation that Robin and Black Alice had. And it's, you know, telling it kind of in the flashback format. That as the story moves forward, we go back to what their conversation was. I think you mean Monkey, you mean Black Alice and Monkey, Monkey Prince. Prince. That, that's what I mean. Um, and I, and I like that that aspect of it. But yeah, it is kind of all over the place. Um, and I I forgot that that um, Neza was possessing Batman, just because. Yeah, I know. totally forgot that too. When I, when I turned yeah. the page and it looked all like demonic, I was like, oh yeah, this was a thing. Yeah, I, this was a thing. I, I forgot about <laughs> so, that. Um, but yeah, so, and I think Federici's demonic Batman looks rad. Oh yeah, like, yeah, that, it looks great. That is scary as hell. Um, so that worked. But yeah, this event as a whole was just kind of. I understand what they're doing, you know, comic book meta storyline, or they're inter- using this event to create more characters and you know go forward. Um, but it like if you just read the Alpha and Omega, you know, like it's fine, but it's kind of a, a messy story. Yeah, it feels, I don't know, just a, a bit over, or maybe a bit too stretched out, a bit too many characters, yeah. things like that. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I feel like I didn't really get a whole lot of, and I like Mark Wade as a writer, but it felt mm-hmm. like, this felt less like a, a Mark Wade story that he wanted to tell that fit perfectly into these two issues, yeah. and more like there was kind of like a list of things he had to hit, Yeah, he had to hey. kind of... Conforming we story need an event that's going to create more superheroes that we can turn around and tell stories about. And he's like, "All right, what about if we yeah, do it, it, raid? it felt more like a utility <clears throat> than it did a story. Yep, is how I would put it for sure. So, and and I appreciate him using characters like Neza and Monkey Prince and Fire King Bull, throwing Black Alice in there. It really shows, you know, where Wade really thrives as a writer. Um, however. It it just it spreads out like you're saying a little bit too much and there's so much going on, um in in a short amount of time that you know like again I read this first this week and I only remember the the, the big beats I yeah. don't remember much of the in between stuff yeah I mean the ending is basically just setting up where we're going with Batman versus Robin issue five which is now yeah. that Batman's the one who's possessed uh, it's a great final page like Robin looks yeah. great we see that that 
that that uh, image of Robin with his hood up, the sh- the shading yeah. on his face and the shadows mm-hmm. and the fabric of the hood. Oh, that looks great. Yeah. Man, I hope he kicks the soul out of Batman. And by well, the soul out of Batman, I mean the soul out of Neza Batman. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's a fun twist on it, because obviously the first four issues where Robin was the evil mm-hmm. one and Batman right. was sort of figuring that out. It's kind of fun to flip it, so now Robin's the yeah. good one and Batman's the one who's possessed. Right. That's a smart way to shake it up. It's a smart way to, like, if anything, it's going to be even more challenging for Robin than it was for Batman, because now it's Batman plus evil mm-hmm. demon... And Batman yeah. naturally is like you know one of the best fighters and smartest yeah. minds of the whole now, universe. And now, all that. do you think Flatline's going to show up with the recently resurrected, you know, uh, demon's Rats? head? Yeah, I yeah I could see that playing into this too. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would make some sense. There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, not only does mm-hmm. Raz tie in nicely with the Neza and the yeah. Batman stuff, but also yeah. Flatline's Robin's Girl, kind of girlfriend, kind of girlfriend. Yeah, they've they've got yeah. something going on. Yeah. So definitely, but yeah, I just hope I, I hope to see a soul punch or soul kick, you know, you know, let let, let Robin get the one up on him. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we should be had a whole issue of Batman taking out Robin. So let's have a issue of Robin taking out Batman. Uh, so but yeah, um, weird that this all started in Batman versus Robin, right? Like this whole Lazarus thing. Honestly, it kind of feels more like these two issues were just issues of Batman versus Robin with a yeah. lot of guest stars, and then we're yeah, getting back to sure. the book proper afterwards. It's just that they wanted it to be this framing device for all these uh, short stories, so they've done True. it like this. That makes sense. But hey, at least we get Federici art, right? Yeah, uh, Federici art was great, yeah. so uh, yeah. But no, that makes, that makes sense. I didn't think about that. Uh, this is just the next two issues of, of Batman versus Robin. And uh, they're not bad by any means, no. but they're certainly weakened by all of the extra guest stars. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, I definitely enjoyed issues one to four of Batman versus Robin more than these two. I think I would yeah. say, uh, for sure. I look forward to issue five. I want to see what Mark Wade's got his up his sleeve, but mm-hmm. uh, this did feel a bit like uh, I don't know. It felt like they were molded into this thing for the the purpose of what they want it to be, rather than because it made sense for yeah. the story that was originally being told. So I told you I've been watching uh, Always Sunny, uh-huh. and I, I finally saw the wild card bitches. <laughs> and so now I just thought of, of, of Wade going, yeah, Lazarus Rain, bitches. Uh, you know, that's what the wild card is. So, but yeah, no, it, it's good. Um, but, uh, man, I'm curious to see what they do with all the characters they introduced in those. Um, hopefully there's some some of them that last, and they're not just, you know, well, we know some of them are getting books because you know, yeah. we talked about that last week. And yeah, so but I hope it just wasn't all for naught. I hope that just wasn't a you know making them making this whole thing just feel like a weird filler, you know, type thing. Hopefully, we get something because we we talked about when they did that with with uh, Silencer and Sideways, and you know and that was all kind of. Do you even remember what that was called? The, uh, the New Age of DC Heroes. That, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, and they I mean, just, this is a little bit more restrained than that, but yeah, at least yeah. Silencer, I think, was more of a contained story that kind of ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Where Sideways, yeah, was kind of left open so we could have more of him somewhere, and he's popped up in the background in yeah. a few things, but like that's about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. What are you, what are you giving a Lazarus Planet Omega issue one? I'm gonna give this a seven. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's hard to get into the sixes with the Federici art. Yeah, Federici art, and there were still good moments in it that I liked. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. But certainly the seven's the ceiling, I think, for it, just because of what it is. It just feels a little bit too... For sure. Too uh, manufactured, I guess. Uh, all right. Batman Superman World's Finest Issue 12 Mark Wade rating with Emanuela looking Lupacino. You made me yeah. mess up again by interrupting me, Bat. Come Sorry. on. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. I swear. You help nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Emanuela Lupacino is one of my favorite artists, so. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, this is kind of a, a nice, uh, just palette cleanser it was kind of nice in a, an issue or a week and a week of big things happening in a lot of the books this was just like a here's a fun just a side issue about mm-hmm. dick and cara going on a date when they're both like teenagers yep. uh and how it hints that they both mess things up so bad in fact that dick's deve- designing the first nightwing outfit because he wants to change his ident- identity so that she won't know who he is anymore <laughs> it's quite funny to me that is funny um this felt i don't know if you ever read it but um when they relaunched Archie, the comics around when Riverdale was coming out. Oh yeah, I read, Mark a, little, Wa- I read a little bit yeah. of that. Yeah, this felt like an, a Mark Wade Archie issue. Yeah, like I can he, see that. I can see that. He had the teen dynamics down, like the stuff with the super awkwardness of the date, them showing up in costume and all that, and like not knowing how to react to each other. Like I felt like I was reading Archie, but like not this Riverdale version where you know everybody's something by now, and we had sorcery and witchcraft and stuff but like like the old style archie comics uh and i think that with these two characters who we know so well right dick and kara seeing the side of them where they just don't gel i i thoroughly liked well i think this was kind of a fun thing to do because obviously dick and kara don't really have like a much of a like i'm sure there's some old issues somewhere where they've dated for a bit but it's not really something we sort of think of as dc fans we think of dick with babs we think of kara doing whatever else so it it kind of felt like if this is in continuity it can't be something that leads to a big relationship it has to be something that's more of a a a joke short 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 time span thing yeah but they they had referenced this right when they first show up in that first arc you know they're deep from hell right yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. I mean, though. I, so I, I think they have to, like, show that it was kind of a failed experiment mm-hmm. for them. You know, there's this yes. thing where, oh, there's kind of an attraction, maybe we should try this. And then, fundamentally, no, it was the crash and burn completely where, mm-hmm. um, like, she talks about why she was attracted to him. She went down to save yeah. him when she first saw him, but then he saved himself with grapple hook and, yeah. you know, so we see that she tries to get dressed up for this date, but then when she's going to the restaurant, she sees that he's still in his Robin outfit, so she quickly changes into her Supergirl <laughs> outfit, so that's kind of awkward. And then there's just a lot of banter back and forth about how they're both, like, he's kind of self-absorbed and talking about how great, like, it is being Robin, yeah. and she's trying to talk about other stuff. Um, there's some comedy with, like, how the uh, the chef's been yelled at by the, the manager that yeah. they're, they're serving Supergirl and Robin. It has, has to be the best food you've ever made. And oh. the chef gets so mad that he quits because he thinks his food's perfect anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's all just very light and fun comedy for the most mm-hmm. part. Uh, with, with good art, you know, the expressions uh, from Lupacino's great. Yeah. Obviously, Dan Mora's the regular artist. We love Dan Mora. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to give us a fill-in, Lupacino's about as you good could, as you can ask for. Yep. Especially with these two characters, too. You know, yeah. you know, he has such a defined look. And I feel like Lupacino draws, like, to me, like, not definitive in that way. Everyone should draw him that way. But she gets, she just gets, like, classic versions of them. You know, like, her Starfire is one of my favorites. So um, her Wonder Woman always looks classic. So I think 
what I like about this issue is it captures this kind of uh, awkwardness, specifically with the the way that it feels like, even though you, I think we can always understand why a character saying something, yeah. almost every time one of them says something to the other, it comes off badly to the other person. For example, Kara's telling a story and Dick says, God, the food's taking forever. And she's mm-hmm. like, she feels like insulted that like, wait, why are you more concerned about that than what I'm saying? Right. And it's a miscommunication thing because Kara doesn't get hungry the way he does because she's not human. Right. Um, right. But like, she takes it as an offense. But even this idea that the food's taking a long time is almost like they're they're almost hoping the food's going to come and save them because then they can start eating yeah. and they don't have to keep making small talk. But the food keeps not happening. It's just not coming. Right. The, the, this safety line that they're waiting for just isn't coming. And yeah. that feeling, that social anxiety feeling of like, this is awkward and we're waiting for that lifeline. Yeah. I felt yeah. that the entire time. So I think yeah. the writing uh, is really strong in capturing mm-hmm. that, I think. Yeah, because we know there's no way out for them, right? Like, they can't just punch their way out of the food not arriving. Or Kara, Kara can't fly away from it and, and make them go rush, you know? They're at the mercy of other people, um, which I which I do like, you know? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, in fact, but, at the end of that same page, she ends up mm-hmm. doing the same thing where she says, where is the food? Right after Dick yep. said about his parents dying and Bruce <laughs> yeah. taking him in. And, you know, we, we see like both both of them getting advice from uh, Clark and Bruce later uh, in the yeah. issue. And like, hey, maybe like you're just not suited. Maybe, yeah. you know, she, she, she has this different experience where her entire planet got destroyed. So maybe yeah. your parents dying isn't something she feels like she can just you I... know, jump in about. That was the next thing I was going to bring up is that where Bruce is like, you know, everyone that she's ever known, you know, is gone. And so, yeah, maybe maybe that's not the touchstone that, you know, you want to bring up on a first date, you know. And then Kara's response to Superman, and um, I'm not going to butcher it, but it's this very thought, you know, well thought out, you know, take on why Dick is the way he is. And Superman looking at her going, wow, Kara, that was actually very mature. You know, <laughs> like wow, you know, people have to go to therapy for years to come up with that, and you just got that off of one date. Yeah, no, know? yeah. Obviously, there's the whole hijinks where there's like a, a truck full of bowling balls that yeah. spills outside because of a monkey, which was set up at the start. There's yeah. like this monkey yeah. that's ran away from my home, and this guy's looking for his monkey. Uh, yeah. But they end up, you know, Robin and Supergirl have to save the day. They end up falling into a pool. <laughs> like everything that goes wrong could have gone wrong. So we see them sitting in the restaurant soaking wet. And then to top it all off, Robin, who said he'd pay for it, and then awkwardly kind of bragged about how money's not an issue because he's obviously living with Bruce, uh, then doesn't have his wallet or doesn't you know he, he has to go and take money out. He needs cash because his card has his mm-hmm. name on it, and he has to keep his secret identity. So she ends up having to pay, and it's just this awkward like yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, the character does this whole thing where. I wanted to kill him uh, because he, he's looking for approval and blah, blah. And she felt, uh, you know, she, feel, she feels bad because she feels intolerant, judgmental and ashamed yeah. and then angry and a little manipulative. And I don't like who I am around him. So she's basically realizing, you know, some self-growth here yeah. uh, and that they're bad for each other. So, yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah. Basically, but both Clark and Bruce basically say to them, look, accept the loss and move on. This wasn't yeah. working. It's fine. Right. Yeah. I yeah. Really, really good stuff. Again, superhero Archie, even down to the um bowling ball truck incident and all that. Felt very, very Archie comics of the sixties. 
It was just very Nothing. everything that shenanigans. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong, and to mm-hmm. top it off, bowling balls. And Kara's yes. like, "What? Why? Why is there even a truck traveling with nothing but bowling yeah. balls?" And Robin's quite right to say, "Well, yeah, someone has to like, make them and deliver them to where they go." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, funny stuff. Yeah, it was a delightful <laughs> issue. It was it was a mm-hmm. nice, pleasant, uh, lighthearted read. That yeah, you know, kind of. I wouldn't say fixed the continuity problem, but it just kind of like made yeah. it clear this was like something they tried and it's awkward. Yeah. And now, now we can move on. And well, and then when you look back and see that they got lost in time, right? And, and that whole thing, you know, that that adds a little bit more context to, um, to to Kara feeling guilty about losing Robin. You know, when that wasn't World's Finest, right? Where he got lost in time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but is that set before this, or is or no? That was yeah. So that was that was um, after this because remember they talked about they knew each yeah, other that, because they had that date. Yeah, that's what I meant. I meant I meant yeah. this is a flashback issue. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it just adds a little bit more context to that too. That the, this is where they were, you know, um, before they they teamed back up for Batman and Superman to take out Neza. Um. <clears throat> so yeah. Um. All around good time. Yeah, yeah, uh, and obviously I mentioned Lupacino, but the the expressions are really great. It's particularly because the social awkwardness, like a lot of that, does rely on the faces, kind of like showing that they're yeah, the dialogue's there as well. But mm-hmm. a lot of it does rely on them and their body language and like the look in Kara's face, where she's like, "It's all right, I'll pay for it." Like, yeah, just you get a lot from the art in like, those moments. Yeah, she's like mildly annoyed, but not you know. She's not disgusted, and it and it shows through. Yeah, would you believe Robin's not got his wallet and his pixie shorts? Yeah. <laughs> they even have uh, pockets in those things. Like, uh, there's no room. It's a good good question. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I should hit up Mark Wade on on Twitter. Be like, hey, does does Robin have pockets in the pixie shorts? And then I'll get banned. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to get off of Twitter, right? Yeah, I mean, this this is the minorest of critiques, but I did think, you know, so when they end up falling in the, 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 the pool mm-hmm. together, or the, the fountain, yeah. is Robin, you know, the, the monkey jumps onto him and he backs up into Supergirl and they both fall into the water. Yeah. Part of me did think, but because Supergirl's super strength, could she be, like, knocked off her feet that easily? Or would she, yeah. like, part of me thought, would she just stand like a rock? Yeah. Kind of thing. He would fall in by himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is funny that she falls in too because it makes the, yeah. the, the, the awkwardness for the date yeah. you know, work. But part of me did think, you know, wouldn't he just bounce off of her though and like fall, you know, yeah. elsewhere? I don't know. But anyway, minor, minor, not even a quibble. Sure. Just, just a thought, just a passing yeah. thought. She was so distracted by the awkwardness of the situation that, you know, she was off balance already. Mm. You just, that yeah and plus this is also a nice uh light-hearted thing just because you know we just had all that david stuff and mm-hmm. like you know that was a bit more like sad ending sort of misery yeah. so this is a nice palette cleanser for just this book on its own as well uh, for sure all right what are you giving world's finest issue 12 i'm gonna give us an eight i'll i'll go as high as the 8.5 i think i right. I, I quite like this uh so cool uh, Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, issue 6. Tom Taylor writing with Trevor Hearsine on the art. Uh, so this is issue 6 of 8. Um, we have uh, Kilowog's planet's gone. 
Uh, times are getting very, very bad. Poor, poor Superman can hear every life on Bolovac Vic, you know, be be snuffed out by the anti-life virus. Oh, I totally forgot about the opening couple of pages with Lobo yeah. being hired to save the universe. Oh. That doesn't that doesn't come up in this issue, which is why I forgot about it. Yeah, but it is at yeah, the start yeah. of the issue. It's at the start, and and he's like, "Why should I go help?" And they're like, "We'll give you, you know, your heart's desire." He's like, "I am fine with money, and basically all the perversions you want." Um. Yeah, but he, he, he even says no, but that'll get boring after a while. It's like, no, yeah. well, we will have a think tank to keep <laughs> yeah, making yeah. it interesting. We'll keep somehow spacing it up and changing things oh, to keep you entertained. God, he's disgusting. Oh, he's, yeah. So yeah, so Spectre's fighting the zombified Mixapetalic, which is the big yeah. cliffhanger from last issue. And likewise, this issue also has a huge cliffhanger at the end. Where, yeah, buddy. So... <clears throat> so the Spectre wins, right? With the help of Superman, the Spectre actually wins this fight at the end of the issue. But um he gets knocked out of the you know, the Spectre gets he gets knocked and he ends up dying. Like Jim Corrigan dies. Yeah, because uh, um uh Undead Mixie, you know, uses his fifth dimensional stuff to rip the the host, uh, Jim Corrigan, away from the Spectre. So without a host, the Spectre can't be there. You know, so yeah. it's kind of like this Pyrrhic victory where yeah, they beat the undead Mixie, but, you know, they lost the Spectre. Yeah, <clears throat> so so Mixie dies, but it separates Corrigan from the Spectre, um, mm-hmm. which leads to uh, who becomes the new Spectre at the end. And this actually I thought was quite well set up because, you know, they've really been playing in this particular series Alfred's guilt over yeah. losing the Bat family because now there's a cure and the final trigger in this issue being Leslie's death. And because, you know, basically the big thing on Earth 2 is that the mother box, because the one's corrupted and they're all connected, they're all yeah. corrupted. So all of the zombified, like, high father and stuff start showing up. Yeah. And dead gods, if you will. Yeah. And Leslie, Leslie dies. Uh, Leslie yeah. Thompson, or Tompkins. Yeah. And Alfred lets out a scream. And I like this moment. Is like, Alfred's like, you know yeah. what? I held back a stream when the Waynes died. I held back a stream mm-hmm. when I had to kill the Bat family. But it finally, this scream came out. And the big ending of this, and this is more of just Tom Taylor having fun mixing all these things together, mm-hmm. is that Alfred becomes the new spirit of vengeance. He's the new Spectre. And it just looks like the Spectre, but with the little Alfred mustache. Yeah, I was going to say, I love that it's just the Spectre, but with the mustache. But the Alfred, the thin little... and uh, it's, it's a good image, though, right? It's a, uh, it's a fun image, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's their big uh, big cliffhanger. Yeah, uh, but what and what leads it to that is too. It's one of the the undead gods are are just beating the utter piss out of Damien. Yes, uh, and he feels helpless, right? He just lost Leslie, and now he can't do anything to save his last, you know, his last grandson. Well, no, he can, and, but well, now he can, <laughs> and that's it's you know that vengeance, that that thirst for I should have done more, you know. Um, that's what brings it to him. And so I do like that because um, it is his care that is, that's feeding the vengeance. Um, but yeah, other stuff we get in here again was, you know, Superman feeling all of the, you know, the, the, the lives that were lost on Kilowog's on planet, you know, and, and them trying to figure out how, you know, how can they disperse a, a galactic scale of the cure, right? Like there's kind of only so much they can do. So it makes me wonder what, what Tom Taylor has up his sleeve. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there's a solution that Taylor's got picked out for them to yeah. to figure out for for the end of this. 
You know, yeah. I was thinking, because I enjoyed this issue, and I've, I've, every issue of this book I have enjoyed, and it's always mm-hmm. had the fun thing, especially by the end, there's usually some fun twist in how it mashes two IDs together, yeah. or, you know, in this case, it's Alfred becoming a spectre or whatever. Um, but certainly, I think this one in particular has felt less exciting than the previous ones, and I was yeah. and I was wondering why that is, and I think part of the reason why it might be is that because we're not on Earth anymore, because, because, uh, you know, the first few miniseries, especially on Killables, which is my favourite of the whole thing, yeah. um, it was like, okay, so we start off with the, all the DC characters on Earth, and we're sort of mixing and matching and doing these fun things where Canary becomes a Green Lantern, we're doing these things where other characters are becoming other roles, and we're seeing different combinations of characters team up <laughs> that we'd never see normally in the DC universe. Yeah. I think the reason why this one feels a little bit less special is that while we're still technically doing the zombie stuff, and we still have stuff like Alfred becoming Spectre, is that because we're doing all the space opera stuff, and we're like jumping around to like Apocalypse and Darkseid and yeah. New Gods and everything well, else. the whole concept of it, entropy and Erebos, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, the point I'm getting at, though, is yeah. that this feels a lot more normal compared to the other ones, because I think when we're jumping around space and we're going to these different New Gods and we're going to... um. Like, just these different characters spread out all over the place, and we're talking to Mr. Miracle and Bard about using boom tubes. Mm-hmm. This feels more like just a normal DC event. It isn't, because the zombie thing's still there, but it right. doesn't feel as special to jump around all the characters in the same way, because it feels more like a normal DC event, versus right. the original Deceased, which felt it felt different because like, all these characters were dying. But we're right. kind of at this point now where some of them might be able to be brought back, and I, I don't know. Like I was just, I was having this thought as I was reading this particular issue yeah. that this just this unkillable or the not unkillable, sorry, the undead gods miniseries right. specifically. At this point, it doesn't feel as special anymore. It doesn't feel bad. I'm still enjoying mm-hmm. it, but it's not as like monumental as yeah. those early you, minis were. Do you think too that also having stuff, having read stuff like vampires, DC versus vampires? And then the... They still um, a little bit. Yeah, and, th- and then the fantasy one, who I'm drawing a blank on right now. Darn Knights um, of Steel. Darn Knights of Steel. Also Jurassic yeah. League, also yeah. DC Mech. Yeah, it's maybe... Yeah. This was special when it started, but now they've tried to do it with, like, tons of different versions. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And again, nothing nothing wrong with this, but yeah, I was kind of... Not that I was bored, but when I was reading through this this week, I was, was kind of, yeah, all right, next page, all right, next page. And then it hooked me back again. But there, there's a lot of good stuff in there, too. Like, Scott and Barda talking about they have to go to, you know, to New Genesis because that's where their son is, you know. Uh, and, you know, they're willing to go fight this virus again to get, bring their son. So there's there's some good, like, story beats in there. Oh, for sure. That, like, I, I, don't way, know, so. I don't even want to be that negative on it. It was just... Yeah. Just compared to the earlier books, that it felt yeah. it felt a bit more focused. This just kind of feels like it's just more of yeah. a normal DC event. It just happens to be these characters yeah. that are still well, alive that are the main characters. Yeah. Well, and it felt too like there was a. We know there's an end game, you know, in this that you know, with like Unkillables, right? There are so many moments in there where it was like Taylor going, "Yeah, why can't I do this?" You know, the whole the tree shrimp team, you know, with with Grundy and Deadshot and and stuff and Cass. You know, and then the Mary Marvel reveal, you know, like there are these big moments that have this unlimited potential. And here we kind of know, like, all right, we kind of know what this is. Um, and we know that, you know, you would think that it's kind of kind of end with a cure because that's why they introduced it. But yeah, no, again, nothing, nothing bad. I think the art, too, is a little bit I feel like it's wonkier, but I don't know if that's just a stylistic choice by hair sign here. 
you know, like oh, the, yeah. the Spectre and, and Mixy stuff. I mean, I've um, always thought Hair Sign's just okay. Like, I, yeah. I thought the Inkillables yeah. book had better art anyway, yeah. you know, on top of the, the being my favorite sure. part of the story. Uh, but I know, it was just, it was a thought I was having why this one doesn't mm-hmm. feel as much of like a, an exciting event as the first couple yeah. did. And I think it's just because it, almost because of where it's went, it feels more like a conventional just space opera DC story versus... Uh, those early stories where it felt like it was like breaking everything in the universe. It's still done a little bit. It's still in a little bit of it here or there, but it feels a lot more normal by comparison. And I think that's partly why it feels a little bit mm-hmm. uh, less exciting. But yeah. uh, st- still solid, still easy to read. Characterizations are still really strong. Like it's still a, a good time. It's just not as special as it once was. Uh, all right, what are you giving War of the Undead Gods issue six? I'm I'm gonna give this a seven point five. Yeah, I'm happy to give it a seven. It, it, you know, it's still good, yeah. but it, it, it's yeah. not as uh, special as it once was. Uh, all right, GCPD, The Blue Wall, issue five. John Ridley writing with Stefano Raphael on the art. Uh, so I think you actually missed the last episode that this was on. No, I don't think so. I heard you and Connor talking about one. You okay, you were here. Okay, I knew Connor was here, so I assumed you yeah. weren't. But yeah, Connor was here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the big end of the last issue was Ortega... Uh, the cop became an extremist and murdered Montoya's brother and his fiance, you know, uh, her future sister-in-law. Uh, so this issue is very focused. It's very much about the aftermath of this. And he's effectively left the manifesto and they know it's him. They suspect that he's the one who did this. And it's Montoya kind of dealing with the, like, the guilt and, like, d- d- you know, could she have listened to him more? Because there's a great moment where, uh, I don't know the other cop's name, but it was a co- the, the cop who does the press conference for this comes in and talks to her, and he's a black man. And Montoya's like, you know, did we do this? Like, why didn't we change anything? Like, the whole point of us, like, coming up through the system was that we would, we would make it better for the next generation of cops and that we would improve the system. And it feels like we've just become one of the old white boys, uh, you know, like, like we had to put up with back in the day. So she's sort of really wrestling with that. Um... And Ortega's father hates cops, so he's, like, defending him staunchly anyway. Uh, and we see the reaction of his two friends who are like, do you believe he's, do- he's done this? Like, uh, c- c- like how, how, how do we look at this? How do we feel about this? And it almost feels like at least one of them's kind of like, oh, I don't know if I even, like, necessarily blame him and uh, or whatever. But there's a big moment towards the end of the issue where Ortega comes to talk to him and ultimately he has to, like, call the police and, like, it's this the emotional beat for him because he like wants to trust Ortega but Ortega's like got a gun gun pointed at him even though he's saying he won't hurt him and ultimately he's like no he has to be taken in like he has to be stopped because he has become the psychopath regardless of like there being justifications for like like he needed help this you know this system has created who he is now um and that's probably the big thing in the issue as well as other Montoya is that the guys who are harassing Ortega and making the the racist jokes and like set up that racist party for him um like you know the psychologist in this force that comes to talk to them and says like so do, do you admit that you were harassing him and he's like we hazed them a bit like we do everyone but this is not our fault that you know someone like him doesn't belong in the force well what do you mean do you mean someone who's unstable or do you mean someone who's of his like racial uh you know descent and it, you know basically they react the way you think they don't accept their responsibility they see him as a nut job and all the rest of it. And it's actually this group of racist cops that end up being his next victims. They're out, you know, joking about it on the street later in the issue. And just like a like an execution style, 
the bullets come in and kill them and he, he straight he, Ortega straight up assassinates them and it's like his next thing in the manifesto and it leads to some really interesting conversations because Montoya's again talking to the other, the other cop about what they should do once this has happened and they're like trying to manage like the the idea that depending on how they talk about him they're worried that the public might start to like kind of root for him like he's some sort of vigilante rather than like a psychopath because he's going against this like system that is you know heavily flawed and the public mm-hmm. don't really trust the police and it's like no nah, they might treat him like some sort of like extreme sjw vigilante yeah, uh, and like a martyr we have to kind of like be careful how we process that because we kind of almost see how the people might see him like that but because we're like, we we can connect with Montoya, and we're seeing this person who was struggling in the role she was given, mm-hmm. and that she was like she just didn't really have the the time or space to process or help this young cop. She was too busy dealing with her own shit, and but then she's ended up with her brother dead and her sister in law or soon to be sister in law dead. There's actually there's a really great page where she goes to the hospital and the parents of uh of the of the woman and the couple, you know, not her brother, okay. uh, are at the the hospital crying. And she comes up and she basically says, hey, you know, I was thinking that we could still bury them together. And uh, if you need anything, like, let me know. And she hugs the the mom, and, but then she leaves and they're left just sitting there crying where she's off to go and do her own thing. Uh, so, and there's also a couple of scenes where she talks to or to his friends in the force uh, about stuff. And again, that makes her question kind of like her own culpability in this and like like creating who this guy is and that he's turned into an extremist. Um, so, uh, you know, Agent, or the Agent Park, uh, the Officer Park talks about how he felt bad about the way that Park was treated when she was like treated as this hero and then it came out that she was lying and kind of faking it. Um, this idea that there's this pressure for her to represent her entire race. Um and that's something that Ortega also felt, and it's something that uh, obviously Montoya like understands from from being in the system. Um, and she tries to get rid of the dog. So last issue, her brother gave her a dog as a present, and she tried to give the dog up to a you know a kennel or whatever, and but decides to take it home again when she's told that if they don't find a new owner for it in six weeks, they'll have to put it down. So she takes it back home and she's like crying her eyes out and be like, "I can't do this. Why did you give me a goddamn dog?" Uh, so it's a really miserable issue, uh, you know. If this yeah, sounds, no kidding. if this sounds miserable, it's because it is miserable. And Montoya is struggling, and she doesn't know how to deal with this. Um, and it comes to this really big moment towards the end, where she goes to a bar, and she oh, a- no. and she asks for a drink, and the bartender's like, "You told me not to give you one," and she no, she insists, and she stares at the drink, and that's when Two Face shows up. And oh, no. of course earlier on she was obsessed with Two-Face she was having him followed uh, all these things and Two-Face shows up and says say the word and he's dead and she's like what? it's like look I need to like, make up for what I did to you I'm trying to be better so you say the word and this guy's dead Ortega's dead for killing your brother and I'll take it to my grave no one will ever know I'll kill him for you and she says no, obviously, um, but it's this kind of like interesting thing where she's he's making this offer, and she's like, "No, I can't let you do it, Harvey. If you're really reformed, if you're really good now, then you can't throw that away." Um, but she says this right before she takes this drink. Like the, the issue ends with her taking this shot of booze uh, and walking off. 
No. So it's this it's this really sad ending, and it's it's this thing where like you know the systems like broken all these people, mm-hmm. and it, it's so much of it, it, it. There's no one person at fault. Obviously, you've got these awful people yeah. who are harassing the guy. That's a problem. You've got Renee who should maybe try and help out and reach the younger officers. But even they're like, no, this is just part of like, you know, what you go through when you're coming up through the system is you have to like put up with a certain amount of harassment. Like it's really like examining how much this this like kind of like belief that this is just the status quo and there's nothing we can do about it is affecting everyone. Um so this has been a fascinating little book to read. That's really yeah. kinda you know, really really poking at Montoya as a character and this idea that you know, like, I think even as a reader, you're a little bit guilty of expecting Montoya to be better to these younger officers because she's, you know, not, she's, she's, you know, a person of color who's come up through the system and has got to the point where she's the one in charge. But it's kind of like what the other characters were saying here is that you feel this pressure to be a representative for your entire race. It's not really fair to put that on Montoya, that she, because she is an, a Hispanic woman in this role, that she's suddenly going to be this person who changes everything and completely fixes it all because that's too much pressure to put on one person um Mm -hmm. you expect that she'll be a force for change that she'll be a force for good naturally but you can't do that's a lot of pressure to put on someone so you see what that pressure is doing to her and how she's struggling with that pressure constantly to be the commissioner and to be all these things uh it's a really interesting very layered look uh and this book has been very good it's been like one of the best things on the weeks that it's been coming out uh since it started and this extra element of two-faced being the one who offers us something uh even though it's in his own like weird you know villainous way of like i'll kill him for you you know like, that's mm-hmm. not what she needs but that's what he thinks she needs and he wants yeah. to do it for her is a really fascinating thing uh she also threatens to like make his uh left side look look like his right side which i thought was a really interesting threat <laughs> <laughs> but uh good stuff and like i said this the scene where ortega goes to like his friend the guy who was the uh, parole officer and like points a gun at him and says i'm not going to hurt you but he keeps pointing the gun at him and because of how he looks at him he ends up running away and uh like he, he has to phone the police but he feels really bad about doing it it shows you how conflicted even his friends are about like where they stand on what he's been doing uh so yeah it's you know it's, it's a very miserable shades of grey but very kind of honest look at like how all these characters are like making mistakes and uh like why they're making mistakes why they feel forced into certain things um you know ortega is very much a product of the world around him um mm-hmm. and it's sort of examining how and why and uh, no, it's just interesting stuff uh so uh very good and the, the art has uh been very consistent throughout um and it nails a lot of the drama which it kind of has to because it very much is that book it's not an action book you know it is a book with yeah with uh conversations it's a book with tense moments it's a book where you have to you know just, just seeing the racist cops like laugh and joke about it and seeing the reaction is important uh or even seeing the way the dog looks up at renee when renee is feeling guilty about trying to give the dog up just simple little things like that where mm-hmm. it kind of has to nail those those beats and it does very well and it, it does have some interesting layouts. So, you know, that scene at the hospital where Renee sees the, the parents of the of the sister-in-law is very good. It's just the, all these vertical panels. They never change. It's just her walking in, hugging one of them, talking to them, and then mm-hmm. walking out. So the, 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 the page ends and starts with almost the exact same panel, uh, just with her flipped around, basically. Uh, so, no, really smart storytelling. Um, very good. Definitely my favorite thing that I've read from John Ridley. Uh, 
So, uh, probably a nice clean 9 out of 10 for wow. this issue. That's good. Very good. I just, I clicked on League of Comic Geeks and I was looking at, you know, some of the stuff in the book. And one of the reviews from a user was, uh, Gotham messed Renee up so much that Two-Face is like, you need a hug. <laughs> so, and of course, Two-Face's version of a hug is, you know, kill the SOB. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, point. I've liked this since issue one, but I think these last two issues have really, like, oh, this yeah. is kind of a special story. Like, if this sticks to landing, because uh, there's only one issue left now, so if this sticks yeah. to landing, this will be a really special thing. And I would hope that Ridley gets to do maybe another miniseries or something that kind of follows it up. Yeah. I, I remember him saying seeing something online about him trying to spin this into a new Gotham Central. Um, not calling it that, of course, but even if it is these, you know, mini series versions of it. Yeah, yeah. If he just keeps getting more minis like this, that can yeah. keep following up. That'd be great. Because <clears throat> uh, this is this has been very good. So yeah, definitely gonna check this out when uh, when it's out in trade. Yeah, because it seems it seems you 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 got me at two faced, especially in this issue. You know, uh, offering his services. So <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, but that'll wrap up the books we're talking about. So that'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff for the week, favorite panel slash more, favorite cover, favorite art, and uh, our top five books. And you know, we had eight books this week, uh, so plenty to pick from. So Matt, what is your panel slash moment of the week? Um, so my my panel of the week is going to be from Superman, and it's going to be that that opening double page spread after the title page of Superman saving those people, and you get the little recap in the art. Campbell of his origin to that point. Um, it's really good stuff. Colors, all of that other. Um, yeah. Um, what's my moment of the week? It's a good question. Uh, I am going to go. I'm going to go with the two-page spread in one bad day with Batman and Clayface staring each other down in the rain. It's just a really good big image. It, it was a nice sort of big payoff that we've been building up to. For sure. You know, it showed, all, sure. it showed a lot of restraint. Like, you know, Batman or Bruce Wayne's not even mentioned for the first, like, two-thirds or so of the book. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really nice kind of build to it. Uh, I'll go with that. Um, all right. Cover of the week. Matt, you got any covers? Yeah, there's there's a lot this week. I've not had a chance to look because I read all the books yeah, this week. So no, I'll, normally, I'll normally I look at the covers when there's a book <clears throat> I have not read. So while you are talking about yeah. it, I'll look at covers. I've not done that this week. <laughs> yeah. So Nightwing has a bunch. The main cover by Redondo is, is really nice. There's a Travis Moore one uh, of Nightwing and the Titans. That's nice. There's also a Cam Campbell cover as well. Yeah. Um, Deceased has some, has some unique looking ones. Um, Superman has some of my favorites. So there's one of Lex in the gel cell with Superman's shadow over him. There's another Jimenez one of uh, it's it's Lois and Clark, um, but she's she's revealing the S on him in a playful way. I like that one a lot. Um, I think World's Finest had had some. Um, there's a uh, Sweeney Boo one that looks you know looks kind of. I don't want to say manga-ish, but there's some manga vibes to it. But it's the stuff that I don't I don't mind. Um, but yeah, so so for me, it's going to be the uh, the Nightwing Travis Moore cover. It just edges out some of the Superman ones for me. Uh, it feels like it has that classic Titans feel to it. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> do you need a vamp more? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, we could also talk about the the Clayface covers. There's the Brian Bolin one, which is that's probably my favorite. Well, I don't know. The regular one's really good, actually. I don't know. If yes, the regular one's pretty good. It's got Clayface playing with uh, Batman and Clay. Um, but yeah, the Brian Bolin one is super creepy, which kind of fits. Uh, there's also one that looks like a, a movie poster, which, which I like um, mm-hmm. uh, on there. So, um, oh, else, what other books do we know? Lazarus Planet. Uh, those ones, there's a lot of variants for that one, including some of the, you know, last year they did like the monkey prints in the red envelope. There's another one here. There's a Jen Bartel Dreamer cover. looks pretty cool. Um yeah, I think I'm probably just going to go with the the uh the regular Nightwing. It's just it's really clean uh, and because yeah. all the Titans are different colors, they kind of pop off the white background. Yeah. They pop really well. Uh I also like the regular uh, one bad day cover and I like a couple of the Superman covers and stuff, but uh I think that's what I'm going to pick because there's a lot yeah. to, there's a lot to look through. Uh, regular yeah. regular a- regular Flash covers pretty solid as well actually. Yeah. Uh so cool. All right, what is your art of the week? My art of the week so in a week we had Travis Moore on Nightwing, Jamal Campbell on Superman, uh, Lou Pacino on World's Finest, Zermanico on Clayface. There's are artists that I really, really, really like. So it was a tough decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the more that we talked about this book, the more it made me realize how much I love the art. And uh, that's going to be one bad day, Clayface. Zermanico is really top notch. Yeah, yeah, that is fair. And a week with Ca- yeah, you see Campbell on Superman, Federici and mm-hmm. uh, Lazarus yep. Planet. Lipacino and World's Finest. What, what held off me from Federici on Lazarus Planet, it's not just him. Yeah, there's a little so, bit of back. Of that. Yeah, so. I agree. That's probably why it doesn't win for me as well. Yep. Uh, I will say... <clears throat> even Travis Moore and Nightwing was really good. Yeah. Uh, that said, I'm probably going to go with Zermanico, but Lupacino is, like, That's... almost I, I left Lupacino to to you. Uh, I figured how much you're talking about. It was the it was almost it's almost there. Like it's it's like yeah. just it's nipping on the heels. But I think Zermanico yep. probably still takes it for me anyway. Yeah. Uh. All right. Top five books, Matt of the week. Go. All right. So number one's gonna be Superman. Two is gonna be uh Batman One Bad Day Clayface. Three is Nightwing. Four is Batman Superman World's Finest. And five is Flash. All right. Number one for <clears> me <throat> is GCPD The Blue Wall. Number two is Batman One Bad Day. Number three is World's Finest. Number four mm-hmm. is Superman. And number five, I think, is Nightwing? Yeah, I guess Nightwing. Yeah, so you didn't say Nightwing yet. Yeah, Nightwing, yeah. Uh, well, maybe, maybe Nightwing's four, Superman's five. But it's around that. It's, it's uh, kind of around there. Uh, it's a good week, though. Like, you know, I... I yeah, uh, solid. Yeah, nothing really like Lazarus Planet Omega was probably the the weakest thing I read mm-hmm. so uh, certainly not a bad week by any means so I will yeah. now tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics so uh, look forward to um, wait is that right what's next week's date uh, the first it's the first or 28th technically for DC but yeah <laughs> yeah uh, uh, so yeah uh, next week we have Detective Comics 1069 we have Action Comics 1052. We have Ro- Batman vs. Robin issue 5. We have The Human Target issue 12. Oh, baby. Uh, we got Harley Quinn 27. We got The Riddler Year 1 issue 3. Tim Drake Robin issue 6. Stargirl The Lost Children issue 4. 
uh, Punchline the Gotham Game issue 5, Sergeant Rock uh, versus the Army of the Dead issue 6, uh, Batman Gotham Knights Gilded City issue 5, Blue Beetle Graduation Day issue 4, The Sandman Universe Dead Boy Detectives issue 3, Batman The Audio Adventures issue 5, Shazam Fury of the Gods Special Shazam Lee Matters issue 1, that's just a your big 100 page one shot and it's actually got yeah. all the cast of like co-written the stories on it. Yeah. And then we got a DC Ruby issue one. So there's a lot of weird like tie-in books and stuff next week. Yeah. But uh so some notable big things. Uh Detective Action, uh Human Target. Target. Yeah. So some some good stuff. Uh I'll yeah. no doubt be doing at least one Patreon book next week as well. So look forward uh to that. So that's what's coming next week. Uh I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers. So thank you very much to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Bordenow, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Al Treisman. You can, of course, support the show and keep all the content coming by going over to patreon.com slash TV and supporting us. You get this show early at the $5 tier and up uh, whenever it's ready on the Saturday night versus the uh, the Sunday release time. Uh, if you're in the UK, it's quite late on a Saturday night, but you know, you'll have it there for Sunday morning at the very least. So if you're interested, go and have a look and uh, you can uh, do that. Uh, but of course you can like and subscribe and ding the bell on YouTube uh, and you can get all the old reviews and playlists. Uh, they're not quite all done yet, but they're getting very close to being finished, which is all the old episodes and all the new episodes have this happen as well, where they're cut up. And you can, if you want to just look at the Batman playlist and you get all the reviews of the Batman issues, you can do that, so on, so on. Uh, that's on the comics from the Multiverse YouTube. Uh, of course, you can also just uh, rate us uh, on your podcast app. If you're on iTunes or whatever, you get the uh, five stars and give us a review. That helps us out a bunch. Uh, but that is, uh, that, is, that is it. That is all the ways you can help us. So thank you very much for joining us. We do appreciate it. Um, and I know Carl's not been on a lot of episodes recently anyway, but uh, he's definitely not going to be on the next one because he's got no internet. Who? Yeah, good, good. Very good. That's a little swerve on the fact that I used to say that to you all the time. I know. I very, know. very good, Matt. Love it. That's long-term storytelling. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, yeah, Connor's moving... He has no internet? Is yeah. that why, <laughs> why I haven't seen him even on Twitter? No, no, no. So he's moving house uh, uh, in the next couple of days, and his internet's going to be off for at least a week, maybe uh, two. So It's <laughs> a bit of a Connor Poor Paige is... She's trapped with him with no internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh good good for them though yeah so uh yeah so just a bit of an update I suppose if, if you're if you're looking for one uh but yeah, that's the show that's uh that's uh episode that's it. three four five <laughs> we'll be back next week with three four six i'm sure there'll be exciting things to discuss and talk about and more shenanigans in the world of dc comics but uh, it was a pretty good week. So let us know what your favorite book of the week was. Uh, yes, please. So thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Keep reading DC Comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.